0: Episode 355 of Lopez Radio At Lopez Radio for all social media, of course Joining me today are two of my favorite people All at once And the world didn't collapse before it happened Although I didn't check the news We were talking about this before I didn't check the news yet But uh, today I've got some special guests I've got Ian Bain and Brad Warden You can follow them both at ISTB87 And at MMA Brad. 48 on twitter guys welcome in so good to see you i know it's been uh i know it's been weird times but uh we're here now welcome in good to see you my friend good to see you good to see you Uh, can
1: i just jump in do you know what's weird of all the episodes i've appeared on i've come to realize that every time i've changed my twitter handle (laughs) so on every episode there's a different twitter handle to me it's the same account i just want to put that out it is the same account um, right. i dropped the mma part out of me
0: ian. yeah i remember uh what was it it was mma opinion ian was that the first yeah. time i met yeah we yeah. met yeah yeah <laughs> back in the day man uh dude uh, it's good to have you guys on um we're doing this via zoom and uh it, it'll take a little getting used to but i think this is the first time ian's joined me with video He's always been i've always just seen his little icon and i've been talking to his little icon but this is the first time you've joined with video man you're you're looking great you're looking great how's it's it going? because
1: i usually don't wear clothes when i do <laughs> these things but um now that i have a child i have to wear clothes around the house so
0: <laughs> he's very uncomfortable he's like he's like you i
1: got me on camera for this, once.
0: this shirt oh my god um
2: i bet he's got some really short shorts on under there as well
0: oh i bet Gotta, i'm
1: not confirming or denying
0: <laughs> he's got to let those legs breathe man um yeah who let you become a dad what's going on with that
1: <laughs> i to be honest I, I to this day i still can't get my head around it mm. because we've we've spoken in the past i was one of those people who was always saying i don't want children because i teach i see the worst of children as well as the best obviously i'm not just saying that every child's horrific sure. um and I just thought, what? do I really want that in my life? And then it kind of just happened. <laughs> and then it's like the be- it is the best thing that has ever happened. Um I, I can't it's weird when people ask me about it, I can't put it into words. I really can't like yeah. I'm stuck. A
0: lot a lot of my friends anyway. a lot of my friends are the same are the same way. They're just kind of like, I don't know how to explain it to you, but it's awesome. And I'm like, okay. All right, fair enough. I get it. Um, but that's that's really cool. I know. I know you're you're really excited. I think you were you were just last time we talked. I think you were just a, a couple of months away from uh, from your baby being born. So it's been a little while. I think we have we approached a year yet because you you told the great uh, the great escape story last time you were on here.
1: Um. Yeah, it's probably about a year since we last did a podcast. I think that's crazy. Um, that's that that year's gone. This year has gone pretty quickly, to be honest. I can't believe today is the first day of August. Yeah, so where's the time going?
0: first day of August it's hot as hell outside. It's kind of ridiculous, but uh we're here, and um, i I appreciate. It. I hope that uh, I hope that you're staying safe in all this. Mm. <laughs> as safe as possible
1: <laughs> as safe as you can. I think I think yeah Bra- Brad will agree with me in the u k it's certain parts of the uk i think people just gave up on following any kind of guidelines Mm. and it's just hit it's potluck where you go really to whether you're going to be having to wear a mask not having to wear a mask having to stand two meters away from someone or a meter away people just kind of go by what they want to do um it's it's really weird
2: here because like something that obviously we don't deal with in the uk as much as like you guys in in north america you know, we don't really have separate states that make their own laws and things. So, you know, usually whatever happens in the in the UK is generally for all the UK. And then obviously you've got like a devolved government in Wales and a devolved government in, in Scotland, uh, you know, to, to an extent. But everyone's kind of under the same umbrella. But at the moment in England, we've got sort of individual towns and cities on separate lockdowns with, with separate rules um, like. You know, I'm fortunate enough not to be in one of those at the moment, but I've got a lot of friends up in Greater Manchester who, you know, for example, they've just been told that, you know, they've opened their gym last week and they've been told now it's got to close again, but they can drive two minutes down the road and go to a pub, but they can't go to their own parents' house or visit their own parents in the garden. So it's, um, yeah, it's really mad here at the moment. And And like Ian says, like, you know some some parts of the country just seem to have given up on it. You know it doesn't help that we've had some high profile government figures um just completely flouting their own rules that they've come up with. you know I'm sure I don't know if you guys heard about the uh, the uh, the government aide who uh, was caught driving to a local tourist spot to uh, as he put it, check his eyesight. um so he, he drove halfway across the country at a time when everyone was supposed to be staying put and you know when you when you've got leaders in in those sort of positions basically just saying oh fuck it i'm gonna take my family you know to a nice little um sunspot somewhere on the uh, on the coast why should people uh you know do as they're told i can certainly uh i can certainly see it from people's point of view when uh, you know the yeah. people who are supposed to be leading by example you know aren't doing that
0: yeah, it's um here it's a lot of, you know, the left hand not telling the right hand what to do kind of thing. It's it's really um and and just like you said, it depends on where you're at. I'm in the southeast where most people, you know, it's Trump country. It's it's people who, you know, who are really will give you shit about wearing a mask, you know, and not really you know, there's kind they just kind you get looked down upon because you're being you're being safe, you're protecting yourself. And like you know you never know what i always tell people because i have a lot of family who are also conservative and they they, they are really you know they're like i don't i don't want to wear a mask i'm you know this is stupid to me and and i'm just kind of like well i'm not really doing like i'm doing it because i i'm i'm being you know respectful of of people who are having to work face to face with people all day right um, I'm being respectful of them, you know, I'm also being respectful to older relatives and so like, you don't know what people are dealing with. They might be taking care of somebody with cancer at home, with a, co- a compromised immune system. You just never know what's going on and I don't think it it, it escapes people's bubble. You know, they're, they're thinking sometimes it just doesn't escape their bubble of like, oh yeah, you know, that, you know, maybe I'm coming into contact with someone who's not showing symptoms and you know, they don't realize it and then they're bringing it back to their parents or something like that and it's, you know. You know, we're we're at the age um, we're at an age now where you know our parents are, are up there. You know, our parents are up there, and we've got grandparents that are you know that you know are getting you know up there in age two And it's just kind of like, man, you got to just you never know because it can affect people so different. I've got friends that um, really good friends that have you know they work in the medical industry, they're you know, nurses and stuff like that. They've gotten infected and showed no symptoms. Where you know, and they were testing positive for two months, no symptoms, and then their spouse was testing negative with zero symptoms and you know then you see someone else there's there's a guy who manages uh, a brew pub just up the road from me who just found out last week he's in his mid 40s he died from from it and it's just kind of like you if there's no rhyme or reason to it so why not be careful and it just drives me crazy that people can't just be a little careful you know
2: yeah it's mad like both my parents um have had cancer treatment in the past year so they were both shielding and, and my my uh my grandma is very old and in a, in a in a bad state of health so it's been very frustrating for me not being able to see like the three people who are closest to me like mm-hmm. I know i'm gonna be okay probably like i've i have um i have Crohn's disease myself which means my immune system's not great but I've been told that I was in no you know immediate serious danger of anything um but yeah it's been it's been frustrating not being able to see Parents not being able to see grandparents and, and other friends and loved ones, um, and and look like if your only reason for not doing it is because you think it like is infringing upon some freedom or liberty or something, that's a pretty poor reason, you know. Like I understand that some people, you know, maybe that they, if they've got really bad anxiety that they, they can't deal with wearing a mask all day, or you know, if you've got respiratory problems, it makes it very difficult for you to get around. I understand that, but if your only issue is, well, I don't want to do it just because I've been told to do it and I shouldn't have to do what I'm told, mm. that's a fucking terrible reason in my eyes. And that annoys me.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, Ian can probably lean in on this. Right now, it's interesting to see the political jousting and the, um, and just the posturing as far as going back to school in the fall goes. It's, it's so different from like, so you, you talked about state to state, you know, compared to the country here. Well, then you get inside the state and then you're, now you're going, city by city, county by county, like you got some schools that are going back full on. You got some schools that are giving kids the option to either online or or come in. Um, and then you got some schools that are going all virtual and, and there's no there's no method to the madness. And it's just kind of like, well, then, you know, if, if someone can't tell them, no, this is what's going on because, you know, our governor, our governor is very, you know, is very much, let's get everything back open. Let's get everybody back to school. Let's do all this stuff, even though, we've got record record numbers we're like pushing 200,000 cases in my state you know florida just south of us is um, is like 400 something thousand cases and and that's cuz you know everybody's still going on vacation and doing all this stuff they're going to the beach and, and 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 the problem is like someone told me the other day that if florida were a country it'd be like number 3 or 4 in the world with cases and it's just kind of like one state and that no one can get on the same page so i i you know i know ian you've said a couple things online you know on twitter about kids going back to school what are you kind of seeing over there as far as as far as that goes because you're a teacher
1: um well when i first when when this all went down um at the very start i think it was was it may end of may Mm -hmm. i worked for the first two weeks in school um and what we had said over here was if you are a key worker, so you work for the, you're a doctor, a nurse, work for the health service or um, a care or a teacher, your child can still go to school. But if you're capable of working from home and, or you don't work and you've got children, they're not allowed to come to school, which I thought at the time was a great idea. However, our work, uh, I can say this now because I'm not going back in September. I worked in a school which is in quite a deprived area. And the amount of people that were trying to take advantage of the fact that teachers were still in school who, you know, there were teachers who weren't at work because they were told they had to shield because, you know, they've got a, an underlying health issue. And people like, well, my business is going to go under if you don't look after my child. What's your business? I'm a dog groomer. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't be dog grooming anyway. That's yeah. It's not, I've told you not to do that. Um, and, you know, the schools try to force certain year groups back um, I think it was at the beginning of June, end of yeah, beginning of June, might might mid June, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it was the same way you were, Brad. But a lot of councils locally, someone like we're not opening, we're, we're just we don't trust that it's the right time. And the the government would always point to well, Denmark have done it successfully, and if you look at schools in Denmark, every school in Denmark has multiple toilets with washing hand facility, like hand washing facility, sorry. In the UK, I taught reception in February for a day. And there was one sink between 60 reception children who are five or six. And, you you, you know, you have to stand over them to wash their hands. How would that work where you want them to wash their hands every hour and a half is what the timetable was saying? Um, and I mean, they say in September, everything's going to go back to normal. It needs to, but we're going to find out that schools have not been built to deal with this kind of thing. Yeah. We haven't got the facilities, and then we haven't got the money to put it right, and we're going to have to make some hard choices, especially if a second wave is coming, or a prolonged wave is what they keep saying, yeah. and people are going to get ill. We're going to have to make a choice. Do we shut again, or do we just put people at risk? I don't think there's a right answer, unfortunately, uh, in terms of sending children back to school.
0: Well, and before we even jumped on here, I was talking to my buddy Banshee. He's got he's got a couple kids and they're getting ready to go back to school. And it's like, they're having to like really land with them. You know, you have to wear your mask all day. You have to, you know, don't, you know, you know how kids are with like, sometimes like, oh, I like your jacket. Oh, I like your jacket. Let's just swap, you know, for the day or whatever. Like this kid shows up with a, you know, a SpongeBob mask and another kid has a Spider-Man mask and they want to swap masks. They just don't, they don't understand you know the the gravity of the situation and i was even telling him, i was like we can't even get adults to get on the same page like getting kids it's got to be like hurting cats man like it's just i just don't see everybody getting on the same page with this at all
2: No, possible. Rough. like i thought one of the really telling things in england was um so my partner's sister is a teacher in a private school and pretty much all the private schools just said now we're just we're just not back till september because you know they, they don't need to be they don't need to uh you know follow um, government guidance as as much as state schools do um, and they knew they needed that amount of time to I guess reorganise classrooms and uh, you know make things right but yeah like like you say man the, the actual buildings themselves how how can you you know we, we can't even implement social distancing properly in supermarkets for adults who will generally if they're told by a big security guard, stand in a line and not breathe down people's necks. Like, I can't even imagine having to do that with a bunch of six-year-olds all day. Crazy.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it was, it, go ahead, go ahead. So I was just
1: going to say it, that them two weeks that I did, because then after, what they did is they wrote their teachers in to do two weeks. I had signed a contract to stay at the school in September. It's now fallen through because schools can't afford new staff. They're trying to have to keep people on, and people who are an maternity have decided to come back. I'm kind of glad because I wasn't really enjoying it, but it was just a close place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did a rota where we all agreed to take two weeks and then you could work from home for the rest. So I luckily took the first two weeks. So I just continued on, didn't take a break. And then I've been off ever since. But what was, what was really telling was that you would try to have teachers with a group of six to eight children. Now, obviously when we're saying key workers' children are coming in, some schools might only get one or two children for the full week. Some schools also have to take in children who are vulnerable. So if they're on a, you know, social services or um, they're on a behaviour plan where things aren't good at home, they have to come in. So schools are the ones I was working out, which is in a deprived area. We were still getting about 70 to 80 children in, mm. which for a primary school, when you've got 300 usually in a primary school, still like nearly a third and we were noticing like if we give an adult eight children or nine children spread it out by the time we, they were saying that they were going to bring teachers back and you'd have smaller classrooms you start realizing we don't have the classrooms and they say well use outside but well, what do we do in the winter when it's <laughs> I live in the north where it, right. it rains <laughs> four days a week um yeah. what, am I, what am I meant to do um so they just haven't thought it through and as with most stuff they've not gone and spoken to the teachers how how do you think it can be resolved instead it's a government official well research Well, what research because the unions haven't agreed with it teachers don't agree with it some parents some parents do but some parents don't agree with it Mm -hmm. so where's that coming from and it it is ultimately because the economy's tanking
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean and i don't know like it's It's from talking. So the the university here in town, uh, with us, like they are they're doing. They spent they 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 just released that they spent like six million dollars, six million dollars to get everything to get all the buildings in the on campus ready for return. So you got you got you know uh, wipe stations for hard surfaces and you know uh, hand sanitizer everywhere and signage up and stuff like this. And it's just kind of like. All, this is still the protocol though if someone tests positive right so if a student comes back let's say let's say classes start students like oh hey I tested positive any classroom that that student was in is immediately shut down for 48 hours for clean for deep cleaning for you know just for to, to, to let the you know virus play itself out on hard surfaces and all that stuff um so you get you get four or five students in four or five different buildings that test positive then all of a sudden you've shut down, how many you know how many different classrooms now that have to just sit there for 48 hours and what are you going to do with all these other classes that can't attend it's it's going to be interesting because i i feel like it's it's a you know let's just see what happens and it's and it's playing with people's lives i don't know like it's it's a little weird it's just but i i i also get that you know they they don't want the economy to tank but at the same time some things are bigger than that it just seems like some things are bigger than that
2: yeah I mean, we've got an interesting situation in the UK at the moment. Um, we had this uh, furlough scheme come in. So from when businesses were given like mandatory closing orders, so shops, bars, uh, gyms, hotels, etc., cetera, um, pretty much any, any non-essential retail and any hospitality kind of business, they were all given mandatory closing orders. Uh, and the government had this scheme where, they have been paying 80% of people's salary. So if your business has been shut, the company you work for has been told to close. So say you work in a, uh, a bar, for example, that bar has been closed down. The government has been paying 80% of your salary throughout the whole um, the whole shutdown. Um, your employer has the choice of whether they pay the extra 20% or not. Some have, some haven't. Obviously, some will be in a position to, some won't. Obviously, if you can work from home, you, you're fine. You don't you don't need the furlough scheme but it's been a lifeline for a lot of people uh, and a lot of businesses. They're in a position now where they're ending it in, in, I believe, October and they're sort of winding it down. So over the next few months, the government are going to start contributing less and less and employers will be expected to contribute more and more. The problem with that is that was all done on the supervisor so the sort of that everyone would, would be getting back to work gradually. Uh, and that's just not happening. Uh, we've had bars and pubs open for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but they're now saying that you know we've pretty much gone as far as we can. We can't open up uh, music venues, indoor theatres, swimming baths, that kind of thing. They were all supposed to open today, actually, and, and it's been pushed back um, till the middle of August at least uh, because because cases are going up. So the issue that we're going to have as a country over the next few months is that the furlough scheme will end, and employers are going to be in a spot where they're just like, well, we can't afford to bring people back, so we're going to have to make you redundant. So while the scheme's been intended to – it was intended to keep people in employment, unfortunately, there's going to be a cliff edge at the end of that when it's still not viable for those employers uh, to, to, to welcome everyone back, mm. uh, certainly not on full pay or full hours. Um, so there's there's going to be you know a huge rise in unemployment in uh, September, October time. And the really sad thing about it is there's been – uh, huge companies like british airways for example which uh, knew they were going to have to lay off people because obviously they they're just not flying so right. you know they were never going to bring these people back but they've furloughed people so the government have been paying 80% of their wages instead of making them redundant so they've cost the government so much money through this furlough scheme when really what they should have done was make them redundant at the start so they could go on to a, a state benefit or, or or try and find another job you know there's lots of people who've been getting you know, jobs doing food deliveries and, uh, you know, th- there's been other industries sort of spring up around it. But um, yeah, like I say, I, I agree with you. I understand we have to sort of get the economy moving, but there's going to be uh, there's going to be some real barriers there around sort of September, October time when everyone is told, right, you're back at work, so the economy's moving and then all their employers turn around and say, well, actually, no, sorry, we don't have a job for you anymore.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting here because um, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that are, it's we, we have we have a similar thing going on where where the government's supplementing folks with unemployment um that that their places aren't able to open and you know there with some companies they are injecting a little cash so that they can kind of keep afloat for now um, but there are there are people that even i know that are like man i'm making more money on unemployment than i was making at my job with the way this thing is set up and you're just kind of like they they're 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 lost cuz they want to get back to work but at the same time now they're getting used to like more cash and it's just kind of like uh, what you know they don't know what to do and it's kind of like I, we're coming up on that similar thing where it either has to get renewed or re-upped or or it goes away um, all that you know unemployment coverage and stuff like that so it'll it'll be interesting to see I think you're gonna get a lot more people that are you know getting in a, in a desperation type of situation Um, as far as like, how am I going to pay for my bills? How am I going to, you know, be able to to live and feed myself and stuff like that. Um, on the, on the other side, the housing market here is just, is still booming, which is really odd to me. Like people are still buying houses and, and, you know, it's still very, um, it's very competitive to get a house here. And, and it's, we thought it would be the opposite, you know, we thought it'd be like, oh, great. Well the real estate market's going to crash because who's going to buy a house during, during a pandemic. Apparently a lot of fucking people are buying houses during the <laughs> pandemic, but, uh, it's just, it's just such a weird time because there's people who are super confident that everything's fine. And then there's people who are being really careful and, you know, places that rely on patronage of, of folks showing up and, you know, pubs, restaurants, stuff like that. Like, um, they're suffering because while people are still showing up, they're not showing up like they were before. Um, so it's still this thing to to readjust to um i don't know i don't know like i, I just i am kind of i've got friends that own that own restaurants that own breweries and stuff like that and they really they want to get back to normal but at the same time they don't want to be responsible for putting anybody at risk at the same you know it's 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 a really weird situation
2: yeah i mean i obviously got a lot of um mates in the, the sort of mma industry and the combat sports industry that yeah um run gyms or own gyms and you know it's, it's been uh, it's been really heartbreaking actually to to see what those guys have been through you know a lot of them haven't qualified for any kind of government support or the government support wasn't suitable for them you know mm. I, I had two friends who um, opened a gym uh, on the south coast 10 years ago and they built this business for 10 years and in december they took the lease on the unit next door. So they doubled in size in December at the end of last year. Man. And as soon as it was ready to open, it was literally about two or three weeks um, they've, they've had to close down. And, you know, they, they were at the point where they, they basically just just lost the 10 years worth of work that they put into that place. Um, they think they're going to be able to eke it through now, but, you know, another month either way and, and they, they probably would have uh, would have gone. You know, they they had insurance. Um, There's been a whole scandal in the UK with insurance companies not paying out business insurance. Um, One of the main companies involved, which you see my friends are insured with, um, they've said that the way they interpret their contract is that because there wasn't a case on the premises, they're not covered. So even though the government has banned them from opening that premises because of the virus because there's no outbreak on their premises they said they're not covered so that's going to be like a class action lawsuit now but you know how long those things take it could it could be years and there's no guarantee of a win and you know does the company does the insurance company just go bankrupt in the meantime because it had to pay out so much you know it's uh
0: right crazy time well and and you know class action lawsuits aren't always all they're cracked up to be too like you, we get those things in the mail sometimes, where it's like, oh, you. We saw that you bought, you know, music from this company, and they're, you know, they're now up for a class action lawsuit. And you're like, oh, sure, fine, why not? And then, like, something like two years later, you get like a ten dollar check or something like that. It's <laughs> something, something ridiculous like that. But it's, uh, it's interesting because places like gyms, places like uh, places like restaurants and 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 pubs and stuff like that, they're running on razor thin margins already. You know, they're usually they're usually like, they're like. Whew. They're they're relieved to pay their pay their employees and pay the rent by the end of the time you know by the end of the month or whatever. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how everyone bounces back from it. I know a lot of places here, um, especially brewery wise, they're they're still surviving off of uh, distribution. You know, they're still getting a lot of sales from uh, liquor stores and, and bottle shops and stuff like that. Um, and and so thankfully, a lot of them have been in, in my area I haven't had to close or anything like that. But it's it's tough because there have been other, you've watched other places, you know, when all this kicked off, there were people that were like, you know, restaurants, especially if they're not big chain, like even some big chain, but restaurants that aren't big chain, you can almost guarantee that 60 or 70% of them are never going to open their doors again because they're already, they're already like the equivalent of, a business is equivalent of paycheck to paycheck, you know, it's literally that. And then even if they open back up under the new restrictions, like 50% capacity, it's like, well, I need 100% capacity to just make the rent, you know, so
2: this is it, man. I mean, obviously, like I'm quite heavily involved in the MMA scene over here, and mm. we just, we're just frozen out. There's nothing we can do because the venues that we use aren't opening. Yeah, like the venues that, say, Cage Warriors, for example, use. They're, um, you know, a lot of them are, are sort of theatre venues or gig venues. Mm-hmm. uh Well, you know, we put the cage on the stage, and then fans stand in front of it, and seats up in the the balconies and whatnot. Uh, and those venues just aren't opening because they're, they're not allowed to yet. Um, they've run some trials over the past... It was about a week ago they did some trial shows in uh, a West End theatre. And they were running at, I think, 25 to 30% capacity. And they need to be 80 for that theatre. They need to sell 80% of the tickets to every show for, for those shows to, uh, to make a profit. Mm. So they're just in a position where they can't open. So... Um, like I say, we're we're frozen out because venues and obviously at, at the moment we wouldn't be allowed to have fans in any way, even if the venues were open. Um right. there's there's no realistic way that you can comply with social distancing um at an MMA show, really. Um so you know, the domestic scene over here is just just done. Um nobody knows when they you know these are these are young kids missing out on like a year of their career. You know, if you're 25 26 years old and a hot prospects and you're trying to fight five times in a year this is like this is a big thing um yeah we'll see like cage warriors are going to survive it because we've got that fight pass deal so we're in a position like where come September we can put shows on again behind closed doors we don't we don't need to sell tickets to fund ourselves right, uh, right. but we can't do it forever um they they've they've spent 30,000 pounds on covid testing for the September events that we're doing um and that's 30,000 pounds they didn't have to spend before and I'll be honest man I don't know where that money comes from but we're certainly not going to be a position, I wouldn't think to be able to do that every month now and so we we can get crowds back
0: well and and those guys uh, you know and Ian you've talked to a lot of these dudes too like uh, any of these up and coming fighters like even fighters who you who who have a name to them where people know who they are they're not doing awesome you know what I'm saying like they're they're still they're still relying on getting those multiple fights a year in order to make their house payments make their you know gym dues and all that stuff and it's it's got to be wild because you know the MMA pay thing's been a been a big hot button item for years at this point it feels like forever you know honestly as much as as much as we've watched and as much as we've kind of taken in the sport it's like this is kind of the worst case scenario because they were they were fighting for better pay before there was a pandemic and now there's a pandemic and like you got to wonder, like, all these guys who are, you know, show a lot of promise and who really put everything into it, now they're, like, really not seeing any kind of, like, you said the local shows are shot, like, all local shows here are shot, you know, at the moment there's nothing going on locally, the only thing that, you know, obviously the UFC has their fight island, and that's 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 a completely different thing, because that's a big machine, Um, and I think Bellator just had their first event since all this started right yeah last friday last friday so i i I don't know i don't know what uh you know i don't know what you do at that point because it's like you can't go to your gym and train you can't take a fight because no one global you know no one on the international level is is interested in you yet you know um I, i think it's probably afforded some fighters that probably wouldn't have had under normal circumstances and an opportunity to to perform for the ufc to perform but that's just like a, a drop in the pool of how many people are waiting on getting a call for a fight it's kind of ridiculous um
2: yeah 100 percent, man i mean i i know of people who are who are kind of giving up already you yeah.
0: know
2: they've, they've been out yeah maybe they didn't fight for nine months last year because they've been injured or something and now they're just like well i'm not going to fight till may 2021 or something so what's the point i'm just you know gonna get back on the beer and burger diet kind of thing right it's it's, a, it's real sad to see like i think in england it's kind of different because there there are so few people making a living from this from purely from fighting you know there's a handful of guys in the uk that are full-time fighters um most pros in the uk um they they might not have like a nine-to-five job but their main income will be from the gym yeah. Teaching privates, teaching classes, that that kind of thing, um, which is obviously you know not not happening at the moment either. So it's not so much a financial thing over here. It's it's just like you say, you know, the, the missed opportunities and you know guys who who have been on kind of like a career path where they think yeah I'm going to be in Bellator this time next year or going to be in Cage Warriors this time next year. I'm going to be in the UFC this, this time next year, um, right. and that's just not happening for them. And like and this is the sucky thing about it. Like we we can't say when that's going to sort itself out you know like Cage Warriors have got so we're doing three shows in three days in September we're doing um, a Thursday Friday Saturday night one one after the other I think ten fights per night Um, and basically what they're going to do is they've hired a hotel and they're going to quarantine us in this hotel for a week so I I arrive on the Monday we get COVID tested and we have to quarantine our own room for 48 hours till the test comes back and they're just going to send room service and stuff and then we can come out on the Wednesday, but we have to stay in the hotel, and then we do the events. And then every like the guys who fight on Thursday, they go home Friday morning, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. So there's there's no one there when there doesn't have to be. Um, but we're the only show really in the UK that has the facilities to do that because no one else no one else can afford it because they don't have TV deals and stuff. So for for the guys who are like trying to plan things for the amateurs and and, and the young pros, um, they just don't know like they can't say to people, well, maybe November or maybe December. Um, There's been, people are trying to innovate, man. Like there's uh, there's a uh, one show down in the Southeast of England who were doing a drive-in MMA show. Wow. So it's like they're working with a drive-in movie company. So they're going to put the fights on the big screens. The cage will be on like a raised platform and you just drive your car up. They do the commentary on FM radio. Um, And I guess the people in the back seats of the car just have to, Lean out and see what they can see, um, but uh, yeah. So, so there's that, and you know, maybe maybe in October we could do like an outside event. But then, as Ian was saying, like the weather's shit in this country for like ten months of the year, so <laughs> it could be umbrella MMA before uh, before the year's out.
0: Yeah, no joke, no joke. um Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I know there's been some comedians that have done similar things where they've done like a drive up or drive drive in type of uh, situation where. They broadcast the the PA over the FM transmitter and stuff like that, and and apparently it's been really successful because people are aching so much to get out and do stuff. Like they just really want to get out and just just have some semblance of normalcy. Like uh, Ian, I don't know if you know, you know, I don't know how how bad like I don't know how bad yours is, but like I know I've been so. F- FOMO about things like I just fear of missing out like even though there's nothing to miss out on nothing's going on but it just it seems like you know obviously summertime is when me and my wife usually go and do a couple of trips like we'll go we'll fly one place and then maybe we'll do a road trip somewhere later in the summer and you know we're we are taking a trip next week but it's more of a you know family kind of uh engagement more than anything else it's not really a true vacation we're going to go relax and take in the sights at this place it's more of a we have to go here because these people are getting married. Type of situation. Um, how how has it been? Just kind of being at home and not being able to really go out and do normal things with even your kid.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I'm on the flip side. I think actually, because it's been really good for me because I've I've had time with Ivy mm. that I wouldn't have had because I would have been working. Yeah. So you know, everyone says when you have a baby. You know, enjoy those first few months, and that typically only really rely, like relies on the mum who's on maternity leave, because mm-hmm. dad. And I'm talking about in a traditional relationship here. I'm not sure. saying women and women don't have children and stuff like that. Before <laughs> I saw your face there, um, <laughs> but I'm having time now, and I'm see I'm seeing little things every day that I might might not have picked up because I get in from work and she's having to go in the bath and go to bed because our routine is is that so that's been great um my partner has really struggled with the fact that she's not been able to go to a lot of like new baby classes because they've all shut down so you know she's not seen like other babies and ivy's not had a chance to interact with other babies which i think is important um so it's worked both ways but I don't know about you guys but one of the most infuriating things that I have found during lockdown is that a lot of big businesses so I'm going to I'm just going to generically say here the airline industry mm-hmm. how are so many airline industries on the brink of shutting down I know they're not running operating flights but some of them are billions upon billions upon billions of pounds in debt yeah. where is the money going because everyone's last oh, if you take this year out of it you know, a, a typical holiday, you're looking at well over a thousand pounds a person in the summer.
0: Yeah,
1: well over a thousand
0: pounds.
1: Yeah. So, who's profiting from this, and how are businesses allowed to get so far in debt that something like this is basically going to shut a full industry down?
0: Yeah, I uh, find
1: that bizarre.
0: It's it's very bizarre because it's the same sense over here where you're just kind of like, wait, you're reporting record sales, record profits. You know. Mm-hmm. A great, uh, you know, basically putting on a great front for your stockholders and like we're doing great. This is awesome. And then a few months into something like this, they're kind of like, uh, we're hemorrhaging cash and we're we're on the brink of shutting down. And it's just kind of like, well, what were you doing with those billions of dollars you made last year? And it's, I don't know. In some cases, I think it's a larger version of like what we were talking about with the with the brew pubs with with small businesses. They're just doing a larger version of living paycheck to paycheck when we shouldn't be, you know, obviously they're, they're kind of like, we're going to expand and we're going to build a couple of buildings over here. We're going to hire a bunch of people, um, to do these things that we may not need them, but let's go ahead and do it. And so all of a sudden they've got all this stuff invested in these new projects that they didn't need to begin with. And they're just overstretching themselves, not realizing, Oh wait, something like this could happen. And now we're in trouble. You know, the uni- I was talking about the university here that, uh, you know, that's here in town and, uh, it's University of Georgia, very, you know, a very, very uh, American football driven economy, you know, which that whole season is in entire limbo right now. You know, they've got a schedule, but is it going to happen? We don't know. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that they keep building buildings. They keep staffing, you know, new 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 positions, stuff like that. And now they're in a position of like, well, if we don't get this tuition money in fall, like we're going to be in a lot of trouble. So they're trying to make everything as normal as possible. We're gonna have classes. We're gonna have online option for people, stuff like that. But everybody's kind of whispering, like, "Mm," as soon as a couple of cases pop up, they're gonna, because we've been without students in town. This is a college town, so we've been without students in town since March. You know, since you know, since since March, and it's been kind of like a ghost town because when the students are in town, and especially when football's happening, the population of our city, Athens, it just grows, almost doubles. you know, And it's just kind of like, well, now businesses are suffering. It's, it's a, such a weird chain reaction because all these eateries and pubs and bars and stuff like that, they are relying on all those students being here and spending their money on binge drinking and, and hanging out and stuff like that. And they just don't have that right now. So I think they're trying to keep as normal of a face on it as possible so they get that tuition money. And I think it's just gonna be like, all right, it's gonna be all online now, sorry. You know, it's, it's a weird situation, but it's very similar to what you're talking about with the airlines. They just completely operate outside of their pocket when they should just be, you know, let's stay in the pocket for a few years and build up a reserve, you know?
1: And the worst part is that they're asking for bailouts. So for example, we've got Richard Branson who owns Virgin asking for a bailout, yet he owns a private Island. And it's like, well, are you trying everything you can in your power before you have to go to the government to give you a, a loan or a, a handout to keep Virgin going. Um, it's just a weird system. I think, if anything, I, I know it can't be done really, but I just feel like we should just write everything off. Everything yeah. off. Just start again. Nobody's in debt anymore. We're restarting the money system. Everyone's going to get a £100 or a $100 to start with and just go for it. <laughs> and, and let's Let's see if the Rockefellers and all that still go to the top of the system.
0: All right, I'm going to yeah, need you to like, start drawing the shades around your house yeah. real quick. Just start pulling the shades down, just, so just so you're safe. <laughs>
2: it's slightly like equivalent of just flipping the monopoly board, isn't it? Yeah, oh,
0: fuck yeah. This. yeah. yeah. it's probably it's, it probably would be the thing that would resolve it's, it's everything.
2: It's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Like I've one one of the things I've kind of like seen like a few times throughout my career is like the bigger the business, it seems like the less well equipped they are to deal with. Like short-term changes, like if, if if you're a you know a big multi-million-pound company, mm-hmm. you can sort of predict like oh well the market might go down this far in three years or it might go up this much, so we can spend this here and we can spend that there and everything's fine. But something like this happens all of a sudden, like you know, we're saying like the airlines and the hospitality businesses, they're like oh fuck, we we're, we're done, we're finished. We what what are we going to do? We ne- we never foresaw this. Whereas like. You know, like for example, um, there's a little tap room uh, near where my partner used to live, and the day they got shut down was the day they started doing deliveries. The guy went and bought an electric scooter, and he was doing um, one-hour deliveries in the local area for um, all their all their beers and things. Like they they can sort of adapt, you know, all the, all the food places um, they're doing takeout all of a sudden. Like they they can repurpose themselves for that, but the, the companies that you would think like, you know, British Airways posted hundreds of millions in profits last year. It was a record year for them. And April, they're already saying like, you know, can we, can we have some help? Yeah. Like, cap in hand. Like, <laughs> right. It's,
0: uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, some places are able to adapt. And I think that that's brilliant when places can do that. Um, I think that, Large corporations are not equipped for a crisis, you know, and, and to adapt. It's hard to it's easy to adapt when you when you're talking about fifteen to twenty employees, right? Be like, all right, guys, we're gonna turn you guys into delivery guys. We're gonna send people, you know, boost. Like I, I've got a friend who opened like uh, this poor guy, like he opened up a really cool bar, a really cool bar, like it's a motorcycle like garage themed bar. So they've got. You go in there, it's called the Oglethorpe Garage. You go in the main lobby, everything's done in like mid-century modern um, furniture. It looks like, so my dad and my grandfather when I was a kid owned a shop um, where they worked on cars, they towed cars, stuff like that. And it reminded me of that. Like every, all the furniture is like very much, uh, it was, you know, obviously it was used through the 70s, but it was was also present during the 80s kind of thing. And um, so they have this, completely outfitted there they have a really cool old style motorcycle in the lobby then you go in there's the uh, the next room is the bar area and then the next room over is like a glassed off uh, actual shop where you could bring your motorcycle and put it on a lift and work on it and stuff like that if you have one um and he just opened this place i think it was january they opened up and it was like as soon you know within two three months this happened and they're just like what the hell do we do they essentially turned their bar into a bottle shop you know a a liquor store you could stop by buy a couple bottles of wine buy you know buy a few packs of beer and stuff like that they would they even had their taps open where you could fill like uh growlers and stuff like that brilliant brilliant stuff and that kept them going through uh now they're open and they're they're doing okay but obviously it's very limited you know you can only have so many people inside it's a very small place but thankfully they built out a really large outdoor beer garden type area um and and they're kind of doing alright there but that being able to adapt is probably a lot easier for a small place like that um i imagine if you've got if you've got all these uh, you've got all these employees that are doing you know s- social media type jobs you could probably keep them going obviously they could work from home but when you have like a, a high rise full of people that are working for your company and now they can't come to the high rise, now they can't have their meetings every day, um, I think that they they have a problem adjusting to that. You know, I think that um, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was like, I don't know why we can't just remain working at home. Um, you know, they want us back so bad, but we've proven that working from home works. We're already doing it. We're, we're ma- able to maintain our jobs. And I think what it is is the old guard, man, they just really they can't break away from being like having that face-to-face having those meetings around the table stuff like that and it's just kind of like well we have all the technology to keep us able to do the function of what that was doing for us but i think they just there's a lot of older folks especially especially in the states and and, and in my area they're just kind of like i like to shake a man's hand and sit across the table from him and talk to him and it's kind of like well dude just you can't right now (laughs) like I don't know what to tell you but they they're in such a rush to get back to that old style and I don't think they realize that even when everything goes back to quote unquote normal it's still going to be very very different people aren't going to just they're not going to conduct business the same way
2: no I I think when um when people actually start looking at the company balance sheets and um you know it's going to be in the red for a long time for a lot of people and they're going to start looking at what the biggest expenses are. And your two biggest expenses as a business are uh, salaries and uh, office space rent. If you're if you're a business like in a in a big city, especially like you know if you're renting office space in London, very very expensive. Yeah, uh, I've got a lot of friends who uh, who work in the city, and they have been told they won't be back in this year. And the companies are trying to get out of their rental agreements, and and they're going to be working from home. So I think there's going to there's going to be a big switch there. Um, but there's like there's things like you know like the sales sector, for example. Like, what's going to happen there? Because I mean, if you work for a company that sells office stationery, well, who are you selling to at the moment? Because there's no one in any offices. Everyone's everyone's working from home. Mm-hmm. If they need a notepad, they go and buy a notepad from the store and and um, whatever. There's no one buying printer paper or uh, you know, towing the cartridges or whatever. It, it seems silly, but um, like my, my uh, old company, Ian. You probably will have heard of Parent Mail, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yes, yeah, so I used to uh, run Parent Mail's uh, support operations and talk to a few friends who who are still there. Uh, they've just let their entire sales team go because they've had no one to ring since March. So they literally got people sat there in offices and no one's answering phones because they've got no reception staff in the schools. Like the the sales industry is going to be uh, a bizarre one. Unlike um, like you were saying, man, like the a lot of salespeople are the kind of old school people who like to do that face to face. Like that's how you pressure sell, right? Like mm. you can't pressure sell over the phone to someone. Like you set the meeting up on the phone and then you go in and then you shake their hand and you sit there and then you tell them how good it is. And you say, right. So how many can I put you down for? Well, that's gone now. Like that's never coming back. Not for, not for a while at least.
0: Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody adjusts to that in the future. Cause you don't, you don't have that it's just there's a body language thing to it there's a presence to it when you do things like sales and you know a month or two into this whole whole deal i was like man the you know as companies see there's going to be a lot of companies that are going to they're going to be stubborn and they're going to be like we're going to bring people back and we're going to go back to business as normal but there's going to be a lot of companies that are smart and they're going to be like man this is you know tens of thousands of dollars a month of rent that we could be saving right now and uh, you know we could put toward the bottom line we could put toward better better salaries we could put toward you know better amenities for the company like i think that the um the business re not business retail business uh real estate and business leasing is going to suffer hard after this because it's it's almost ripped the Band-Aid off of you know you have always had people that are like we have the ability to work from home but we're only going to do it in an emergency situation, let's say, you know, there's really bad weather and we don't want everybody to put themselves in danger to come into the office, everybody can work from home. And, you know, now I think even my even my wife's company that she works for, everybody's been working from home for months now. And they're kind of looking at their bottom line like, We don't need this expensive ass building right now. Everybody's getting their work done at the same level they were when they were in the office. So what's what's the difference?
2: I think for a lot of people it's it's probably been easier, like you know if you work in like you know sort of operational or management roles or or marketing for example where you're doing stuff for other people in the company like the worst thing in the world is like you're sat trying to do work and then people are coming up to your desk all the time can you do this can you do that can you do the other when's this going to be ready like having that space where you're you're on your own it probably probably frees people up to actually get more productive work done and i think like i personally i know i've had jobs in the past where if they'd have said to me, you can work from home, but if you don't do enough work or your work isn't of a good standard, then you come back in. You best believe my shit's going to be grade A. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, It's going to be such a big life changer for people. Like, I imagine it's probably great if you've got young children because you can go and pick your kids up from school at 3 o'clock and then come back and do another hour and a half to work kind of thing. That's so. exactly
0: what I was going to say. Ian can probably lean into that. Is It's like you have people that are reconnecting with their kids on a level that they weren't before because they were, I got to get up and go. I'm, I'm out at 8 in the morning. I'm back at 5, 6 o'clock at night. You know, they miss that entire day. But like right now, especially some of the people I work with, we're working from home and they get to hang out with their kids all day and get work done and, and it's just, it's, it's gotta be so nice, you know, cause like Ian is one of the people I was thinking about this whole time. I'm like, man, Ian's been home with his kid. Like it's gotta be really, really cool. And I've talked to other, other folks that are like, you know, I've been helping my kid with their, their schoolwork, you know, and, and we've been able to talk about things that we normally probably wouldn't come up because I'd only get to see him for an hour or two before they go to bed. So I'm, I'm sure it's, it's been cool for you, Ian.
1: Well, obviously, it's nice to tour, about but you've got to remember I've also been with a mom, so it its down fault. Um, but no, you know, like when we've spoken in the past, when I've went and taught in other countries like over in the Middle East and in, in Asia, and it's the same for the US. I haven't taught there, but I know from speaking to people who are teaching over there, we in Western society do not have a good work-life balance. And I think this whole thing to me has shown that work's important, but at the end of the day it's work you know you can't you know it pays your bills puts a roof over your head make sure you you know you have a comfortable enough living i like to work hard and stuff but i want to make sure that when i'm not at work and i'm guilty of this as a teacher i shouldn't have to come home and mark books shouldn't have to come home and plan i don't get paid for that right so i've kind of drawn a a line in the sand to say that from now on i'm going to work hard when i'm at work but when i'm at home that's my time, that's family time, that's me. If I want to spend an hour and a half lying in my underwear playing PlayStation, I'm going to do that and I'm not going to feel guilty for it. And that's, that's how I I also do think when we're talking about there with um, people working from home, the big issue that I think I have with it, I think people should be able to work from home, is that so many people going into the office support little restaurants and shops around it that, Working from home is going to be great for the people who are working from home, but there's going to be a knock-on effect going down the line. And it's it's how do we get the balance between the two? And I think that's going to be what is going to be interesting when we do come out of all of this eventually. Who has decided that we need to work from home um, because we can save money and you can have a better you know you don't have to get up three hours before you start work to make the commute into work. You can roll out of bed, have a shower, have some breakfast, and feel energized to go for the day or who's going to have to continue to do that
0: yeah it's a weird butterfly effect right where it's like okay well this is great for me but what about that place i go to a couple of times a week for lunch you know that sucks for them because they have lo- at least lost one patron i mean if my whole office is gone then they've lost all those people as a potential patron yeah. um but you know kind of going back to what you said the the band-aid so to speak has been ripped off like it's it people have kind of snapped out of the oh, work has to be like this. No, work can be a very different thing. You know, work can be a, you know, I'm here and and able to get my job done and spend time with people I love.
1: But, and this this is probably a shit analogy um, for people to listen to, but as I was mentioning before we did this call, I support Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. And there was somebody today who said something on Twitter, which I thought resonated really well with me, that it's shit being a Newcastle fan at the moment. And the cycle has now been broken by the fact we've not been able to go to games. So right. why should I go back? You know, if if right. you're, if if the it's not going to be invested in and you want me to spend my hard money on it, I don't want to have to pay seven, eight hundred pounds for a season ticket to watch shit. And I think one of the things I've noticed from home is, you know, you find your stuff you want to do during lockdown. I've cut a lot of stuff that I, like, I had Amazon Prime. I've got Amazon Prime for deliveries, but. Amazon Prime's online service, the the layout is absolutely shocking. <laughs> and I just thought, like, it might have good stuff on it, but I'm just going to stick with Netflix. So I've watched, like, so many shitty Netflix shows. We spoke about that Mysteries one. Mm-hmm. I've watched all of the UK version of Shameless. I'm now halfway <laughs> through the US version of Shameless. And it's just like, well, I would never watch these kind of things, but your layout compared to Amazon's is so easy. Yeah. So I'm just cutting stuff left, right, and center.
0: Yeah, last night I think we spent so so Friday nights we usually watch two three movies, just kind of chilling out with the dogs, and you know after dinner or whatever, and uh, we probably spent almost an hour just going through and watching the trailers for all these shows I never heard of: The Woods, The Forest, The Shire, the, like like all these shows they're <laughs> like the same show, <laughs> they're, they're the same show just written by someone different, um, but yeah, it's 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 put into perspective like you know oh this thing I did isn't as big of a deal as it was in my head. Like, even though I really enjoyed going to my, my local brew pub or, or to breweries and stuff like that, it's just as easy to go to the bottle shop buy a selection of what I want to drink or try out, bring it home, sit on my back porch and enjoy it there. And it's also shown that, you know, these breweries, because I've got friends that own some of them, like it's shown that they're, they're able to rely almost, wholly off of um their distribution so it's like they they're realizing we don't have to spend as much to make our tap room look awesome or to have like all this space that we thought we needed um so i think you're just going to see a different mentality going forward they're realizing they don't need 50 percent of the things that they were implementing in their business now in order to still be afloat and make money
2: so yeah man like I'm a big like pub and bar guy like yeah. I don't go to nightclubs anymore because I'm too old <laughs> and I, i'm I, I'm that guy now it's like the music's too loud I can't hear myself talk I'm that guy now so I, I like going to like a nice pub with a good atmosphere that sells good beer um and I'll happily go and spend my afternoons evenings in in there but like that like you're saying like is the behaviors changed throughout this whole lockdown situation so now it's like okay, well, I'll go to the store around the corner and I'll spend 10 quid on, you know, some nice bottles and cans. And I can come and sit in my own house, in my own company, with my own music. Mm. And that's absolutely fine. Like, the first day the pubs were open in London, me and my partner went, we booked a table at this pub. And it's like 15 quid for two drinks. And I'm like, "That's, that's like... That would have seen me through a night and a half, like <laughs> drinking at home, and it's like I'm not used to paying this money again. Like it's, uh, it does make you think twice. Like I, would kind of got it into my head that you know the day that the pubs was open, um, I'd be like, right, I'm, I'm going to book a table here for an hour, and I'm going to book a table there for an hour, and I'm going to go there for an hour. And we went to the first place that we had booked, and I think we had four drinks each. And then as soon as it started getting busy, we just looked at each other and like, yeah, let's go home yeah go home get some food get some beers go home
0: and you you can gather up the people that you that that you want to hang out with and if you really wanted to i mean obviously this is different because we're we're not trying to be all up on each other's spaces but going forward you could actually just have the people you want around you and not have to deal with the crowd too like it's it's if anything it's kind of broken me of the i need to be out and see what's going on like i just don't i don't need it and that may be the old man in me talking that that may be it but for the most part, like, I've really enjoyed just having having my time at home and, and relaxing. And like you said, it's the cost is so different. It's incredibly different. When you go out, you know, you could probably spend tr- easily triple what you would have spent to do the same thing at home.
2: Easily. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I went out last Sunday night and probably dropped 100 quid. And I, I, I remember looking at my uh, my online banking thing on my phone in the morning and I was like, how does that even happen? Like it would have taken me like two weeks to spend that much money like over this whole lockdown thing, and I've just kind of done it in one night on shit cocktails. Yeah, terrible.
1: One of the things I was going to say because I think we've looked at quite a lot of the doom and gloom of lockdown. Have you come across anything really weird? Because what I want to just throw this out here: I've st- I've started really taking up darts, and I've discovered a brilliant online darting community. Really. However, however the majority of them weirdly are American. And uh, Jeremy, I say this with a lot of love and respect. Americans are fucking crazy. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. Because obviously you you get, you connect over Facebook, Facebook messenger and it's a different scoring app. So I get to see. And, um, what, what happens is we put Ivy to bed about seven, eight o'clock and then like a a stalker go trolling the internet for a game of darts. (laughs) It's very dirty. Um, and I, I come across a guy and he was in New York and he was like, I'll play you. Here's the code. Tell me when you're on and then ring me on Facebook, which is weird. We had to ring a company and stranger. And then what proceeded was, and I had to call, had to call my partner over, was a domestic argument. And he he was playing darts and he was doing really well. And then she started like, why haven't you started tea? And he was like, I'm, I'm sorry, Ian, my wife's drunk. And I was like, all right, it's okay. And then like it went quiet and he was like, if you don't shut up, I've going to punch you. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a second. I was like, I'm just trying to play. So I I, I beat him. And then he was like, should we play again? And I, before I even answered, I just hung up. <laughs> and like, and, and, me and me and Vicky were sitting there. And I was like, like, in the UK, I would ring the police and say, I think someone's going to get domestically abused. Right. But I can't. I, gonna, I don't know. I'd no, let the, the guy win, like, mate,
2: if I were you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's going to probably turn up and get me next. But but I've just discovered so many, and don't get me wrong, there is some in Britain. But the American darting scene, which is something I never thought I'd ever utter in my life, yeah. is absolutely bonkers, and it makes the American MMA scene look like fine standard <laughs> citizens of the world, which takes some doing.
0: <laughs> um, it's it's interesting because you say the the American darting scene, like I, I mean darts are around like so I, I don't know if any even there's probably a league where i live but i don't know of it i know it's bigger up north for me but it's really more of a casual you know you go to a brewery or a bar and they have you know a couple of dartboards up and it's fun to do but i don't i i only know a couple of people my buddy poteet has a dartboard in his garage and he loves playing like we'll play and i'm horrible at it but you know it's it's a good time but it's more of a casual thing where i'm at than it is anywhere else so so there are while there are dart leagues i i have never been to a dart competition
1: you're not you're not weird enough (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not deep
0: enough in that hole man (laughs) that's pretty cool i i'm trying to think of something that weird that i've come across during um during quarantine but
1: i mean we've already heard brad's dog insights that have turned into mma arenas yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I i'm not i was gonna be there anyway so <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to think like honestly like i i guess n- i haven't really gotten anything new because like I, I i do the twitch thing so many times a week so I, I do twitch probably five four nights a week and i've got that crew that i that comes in and chats with me all the time so any extra time I've got, it'll be usually turned toward them or some friends, uh, other friends that I do PC gaming with. Um, but I really haven't gotten, what's sad is I feel like I haven't, we've done a lot of things around the house. We've done a lot of projects and, and stuff like that. I've got the honey-do list that never fucking ends, but it's, it's you know, it's been nice. Like we've done things, Like we have to keep reminding ourselves, we feel like such lazy shits because we're just sitting around like working from home then we're like dinner and then we watch something on tv or i go and play video games and stream it to people um so i have to remind myself like we have gotten this shit done too like it's it's been kind of a kind of a thing where we've used the opportunity to update things in the house but uh, what about? i
2: don't know uh, marble racing you oh. seen the whole marble racing thing
0: i i've heard that oh, it's become wow. very big very big in uh, like ESPN and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so so like I th- I think it it must have been maybe before like before lockdown, and I, I think John Oliver did something on his show um, where someone had like brought it to his attention, and apparently like this this like one guy had been running this league, and he'd had some sponsors, but they kind of fell through, and he was trying to crowdfund it, and he just didn't. He just didn't raise enough money, or something. And someone had basically got um, got it to John Oliver's attention, and he watched it and found it absolutely hilarious. And then he sponsored the league for a year. So last week tonight is like an official league sponsor. <laughs> and now they've got like production values, like they've got like twenty different teams competing. And the guy, like bless him, like it's like a sports commentator myself, like. I'm obviously very, like, heavily involved in my sport. I'm very passionate about yeah. it. It's been part of my life for a longer than anything else in my life. And this guy's talking about marbles, and he's a better commentator than I am. <laughs> I'm like, dude, how the fuck are you managing? Police? And, and the, the great thing is, like, they're just marbles, right? So, like, marbles don't have form. Like, there's no better marble than any other marble. It's essentially all just random. But this guy's talking about it. like, well, you know, this guy's had a bad few weeks. You know, he really needs to uh, up his output and needs to show a bit more dedication. And then they'll cut to, like, they've built, like, a stand out of Lego. And there's little marble fans holding up little signs with their marble friends on. Like, It's fucking amazing. Like, it, It's one of those things, like, you know, you see it. Like, you see someone mention it on Twitter – and uh, you you'll click on the video and it's like okay it's a youtube video How, okay 10 minutes fine right and then the next thing you know it's like 5 a.m and the sun's coming up and you're sat there with like a big sign and a marvel jersey and a, and a, and a foam hand going like <laughs> come on red cyclones
0: <laughs> it's uh it's amazing uh, so i've uh, seen I'd
2: encourage anyone yeah
0: i've seen i've seen a couple of clips of it and it's all it's so close to someone announcing like an f1 race like oh uh, here comes here comes so and so and he's coming around the corner and oh my goodness and oh my god brad warden is taking taking the lead and like it's he's he gets so into it
2: they have like different events now so they have like a series of 10 events so there's like a half pipe one where um it's like it's not who gets to the bottom first it's who stays in longest so the marbles kind of like go up and down so it's and, and they add the times up so they, you, you release four marbles and then they have to stay in as long as possible and then it's the team with the highest overall time. Um, there's one where they drop them all down like a ruler and you get points for how far you go along so before they fall off the end and you get right. extra points if it gets to the end and falls in a little bucket. Yeah. it's oh, It's just brilliant, honestly. Like, if you've got like a week to spare just got just just click on one video and you'll be hooked if
0: if that one guy could just go to the marble gym that was shut down before the pandemic like (laughs) no right (laughs) (laughs) he could he would be so much better and more focused (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah there's a there's a game uh that a lot of people play on uh on twitch that is called marbles on stream i don't know if you ever watched that but you jump into a marbles on stream uh Channel and you can join and, and basically it's all random so it's it's just a program where up to I think it's almost unlimited but like hun- like a couple hundred people could be in it and it's just these pre made courses that you you type in you know join and you join in and like you see your name associated with one marble and it drops down and it goes to this entire like crazy looking Sonic the Hedgehog course and uh and you know at the end someone wins and no one wins a prize or anything but it's insanely popular because people are just like i just want to have my marble in there and, and playing <laughs> um it's it's a, it's a lot of fun because what what you know a broadcaster might do is just commentate the whole thing it's like oh you know lopez radio is coming up on the on the backside, and you know just, it's just a lot of fun but it's very similar and very uh very inspired by that pro marble um scene for sure
2: Yeah, it might be a bit of a career switch for me. I think I might have to leave the MMA scene behind and just uh, become the world's preeminent
0: marble play-by-play guy. You can follow Brad at MarbleBrad48. Oh, shit. How has... um, uh, Ian, how has uh, watching football been uh, since everything's kind of come back?
1: Um, A lot of people haven't liked it. I quite enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's been weird watching a Newcastle game without hearing fuck Mike Ashley in the background because obviously they're not <laughs> playing that crowd noise crowd noise in but I think um a lot of people were very dismissive before they did it like I can't say they're gonna pull this off but I think they've actually done an as good of a job as you could probably do in other circumstances there hasn't been too many positive tests and if they have they've kind of shut things down there hasn't been like a, a spread. Like I think I've seen—is it hockey in America or Canada where there's been a spread due through a team in the last couple of weeks when I, they're getting I, ready to restart?
0: I know it's been—I don't know about hockey, but I know that uh, baseballs had a pretty tough, pretty, baseball, pretty yeah. tough. They're, they're talking about canceling the season because they just can't keep it under control. I know that I know that NHL is doing uh, the NHL and NBA are doing what they call bubbles, where kind of similar to what Brad said. You show up at the hotel or the resort or wherever they've booked, and you're not allowed to. Once you get tested, you're not allowed to leave. So everybody who comes into the resort gets tested, and they can't leave after that point. Um, I don't think I don't think baseball's doing that. Um, baseball is kind of still doing a scaled down version of what they've been doing before, where people still travel and stuff like that. So they've had like the the Miami Marlins had an entire almost their entire team, their entire, entire starting lineup was infected. And so now they can't play, so that affects ten other teams. You know, either yeah. they, they can't play against them for however long, two weeks. Um, so I don't know if they're doing the bubble thing with the football over there, but uh, that's what they're doing with uh, hockey and NBA, and it seems to be doing okay so far.
1: I don't think they did the the whole bubble thing. People, have, players have still been going back to their own homes and stuff. But mm-hmm. what they have done, I think, is vigorous testing, so it might be a couple of time, a couple of times a week and it's, it's a quick turnaround. And as soon as anyone's positive, they're moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think I read that if, for example, a Newcastle player got tested positive, he would be moved away, but then they would instantly come back and test everybody else to make sure it hasn't spread it. I mean, obviously, there's a delay to that, so you were never going to be able to 100%, but they've done okay. Um, I don't know how viable it is. To continue without fans down the line yeah
0: because i mean you make I think so that's
1: much... good like we said that's going to be every sport probably in in a way
0: right because you make so much money off of concessions and sports uh, i mean not sports concessions and merch like it's it's ridiculous i'm yeah, sure I mean,
1: football football's obviously heavily reliant on tv money as well but yeah. there's going to be refunds because for months sky and i think it might be fox in the u.s who've got the rights um DIN sports in Qatar. Um, don't want to talk about them. Um, <laughs> th- they all, I want, they've deferred a refund, but they're all going to get a refund, I think, at the end of next season. And it's where the higher you finish in the league, the bigger refund you're going to play. Newcastle will probably not be affected too badly by that because we're not going <laughs> to be at the top. Um, but there's going to be a knock on effect in sports as well. And, I, you know, the Premier League we have massive amounts of transfer money flying around and there's already talk that that's probably not going to happen in the whole of world football this summer there's going to be reduced prices because people are going to want probably smaller wage but wage bills basically while there's no fans to supplement that yeah but yeah i think they did they've they've done okay but
0: yeah and the the mls here what they ended up doing is just a giant tournament in florida the worst place to probably do it you know the, the worst spot in the u.s but in florida they're doing the bubble thing where they've got a resort and they've got all the teams there and they're just doing almost like a small tournament um to kind of supplement for a full season um it's got to suck too because i mean how much money comes in to sports teams in general um for season passes and stuff like that because i know a lot of people with season passes and they didn't have to pay up this year cuz there's no season to go to or they had to, they got to get refunded because i think the mls season had its first 2 weeks and then that's when all the quarantining happened and then all these people got their money back i'm sure it's it's got to be a significant hit to them
2: oh huge i mean like you know the the premier league i'm not a big football guy so if i'm talking at my ass here and do uh, do set me right but you know they they've got tens of thousands of people in every week and you know, tickets aren't aren't cheap. You know, I I guess you're looking at what, like 40, 50 quid a ticket or something. Yeah. Um you know, like, yeah, T V rights are great, but that's that's income that you know every two weeks you've got X amount of money coming in. So it's uh, it's it's a big blow. Like you know, like I say, like in, in combat sports, we've we've probably seen it more than anywhere else because there aren't that many big T V deals going around. What I will say though, is that I have come to the learn over the past few months that i really do dislike mma fans and i would prefer it if we could just do all our events in the future in nice empty quiet buildings with no one doing the whole like woo all that shit all that's disappeared that's been fantastic yeah it was so weird though like so we did um on the week of the lockdown in the uk there was uh, ufc london on the saturday and cage warriors on the friday in the same venue um and UFC had to cancel because they didn't think they'd be able to fly people back. And um, we managed to keep our event on, but we had to move it to a warehouse somewhere on the other side of the country. But we still did it uh, with no crowd, and it was so bizarre. Like I've been in small venues before. Like we've done a couple of events in like a TV studio, just as like a, like a promotional thing for a TV channel we work with. Um, but they let a hundred people in uh, for that, so there was still an atmosphere. Um, but no fans whatsoever. It was so strange. Like yeah. everybody can hear what you're saying. So obviously, like I'm commentating, I'm quite loud anyway. Um, and you've got two guys fighting in front of you, and you're sat with the color commentator, and the colour commentator's like, Yeah, well, what he needs to do is just you know, free his arm up there and go around <laughs> the left. Hand. And the guy's like, Yes, nice one, mate, thank you. Bam! Like
0: <laughs> the, co- the coaching commentator basically is what yeah. it's turned into. And you're
2: like, well, I've still got to do my job. Like, I can't just stop talking because they're sat in front of me kind of thing.
0: I'm kind of surprised. Like, I I know it's obviously very beneficial to be on the cage, but I'm almost surprised, especially even with UFC, that they haven't pulled the commentators back. Kind of like they do in pro wrestling. Sometimes the commentators are way, way back, like near the stage where it's like, you know, maybe that would supplement some of that you know the the comment the commentators won't be as weirded out because i mean i think it was weird for the first couple of ufcs that took place without an audience where you'd see the fighters like acknowledging you know the commentators like i did that because of you you know it's (laughs) like shit is the other person gonna be pissed at me now because i gave pointers to the guy who was fighting like it's got to be completely odd to hear such silence though
2: yeah it's very strange like especially when like you know, we had on that March show some of like some of our kind of biggest stars, and you're used to hearing them walk out. Like, there's, there's a guy called Paddy from Liverpool, and um, we we literally book an arena when we got to Liverpool because he'll fill it no matter who he's fighting. Paddy Pimblet. Uh, yeah, that's the guy, yeah. right? And he comes out and he has this like dance music walkout. Everyone goes nuts. Like six thousand people are going crazy. Um, and then there was another guy on the same card, Mason Jones. Same thing in Wales. We book an ice hockey arena because we feel it whenever he fights her uh you know he's he's an up-and-coming guy right now so you're used to it going absolutely nuts when these guys come out and then to see someone just come out and be like and it's just there's no one else making any noise whatsoever it's like one corner man stood behind him going
0: it's it's got to be hard because you got with something like that especially with entrances like patties and stuff like that you you feed off the crowd for that hype and like it's got to be i'm wondering like how much psychologically that affects a fighter i know a lot of fighters have said like i like it because i can focus more you know i'm not as affected by the crowd booing or the crowd you know cheering for the other guy when he when he blasts me one like stuff stuff like that like it's got to be such a weird adjustment to them like have you talked to any of the fighters to see like how they kind of feel about that adjustment
2: yeah i mean quite a few guys have sort of told me that it, it takes away like the home field advantage. Like you know, th- there are some guys who just have an absolutely huge following. A guy like Paddy, for example. Look, whoever you are, you're going to have six thousand people screaming at you if you're fighting that guy. Right. And you know, the guys, you know, they're they're not sat there like, oh god, my feelings are hurt because everyone's booing me. Like they're in a fist fight at the end of the day. They've got more important things to worry about. But right. that energy from the crowd is there, and guys do feed off it. Um, I spoke to a few guys on that last show who said they felt more nervous than they'd ever felt before because it was almost like all of a sudden the that atmosphere that's drowning everything out, you know, the noise just all usually just bleeds into one and they can just look at their opponent and deal with that. All of a sudden, they can hear me talking. They can hear um, one of the corner teams putting the bucket down. They hear the clink as the cage door closes. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, shit. Right. I mean, honestly, like in, in I would say the, the thirty seconds before we went live, um, and uh, I, I suppose the thing about it as well was we knew because it was the only sporting event in the world at the time that that one we did in March, and, and we knew that like all the UFC brass were watching it, and the, the numbers that it did on Fight Pass were absolutely massive. It's one of the most watched shows in the history of Fight Pass, apparently. Yeah. Um, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind but uh, that 30 seconds before we, w- we went live i was i was having like a full-blown panic attack i was mm-hmm. literally like sat there like heavy breathing mm-hmm. and then like when it starts you're like okay well i don't have a choice now i've just got to do it um but i i, was, I felt quite shaken for like the first kind of five minutes of that broadcast it was very no. very strange
0: i had to take a second to like kind of slip into that groove to be like oh this is just the same shit. I just don't need to focus on it, especially because I, I know that you know you wear a headset and stuff like that. So I'm sure once you guys start going back and forth, it probably just felt very familiar at that point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just it's it's interesting because watching all the the stuff you know people right before your guys' event and before the first UFC event since everything happened, people were so hungry for live sports. You know they're so hungry. I'm sure it was a it was a great gain for the UFC because you had so many people like even people I know that were like I'm watching that UFC tonight, I gotta see something live. I gotta see some sort of sporting event. Um Ian, like how, how have you been watching any of the uh Fight Island stuff? Like how's that been kind of uh yeah, your, your perspective of it?
1: I fell down a rabbit hole now where I'm not really tweeting much when I watch MMA. Mm. I've kind of stopped doing that now and I, I'm enjoy- I'm enjoying watching MMA again. I went through a spell of uh, for example, what I was going to say before, and this is not just me blowing smoke up Brad's eyes because he's here. I always felt during the lockdown that one of the promotions that would be okay outside of the UFC would be Cage Warriors. I don't know Graham Boylan very well. I think I've spoke to him once in my life. But I always thought he's an innovative guy. And I thought you will find a way to make it work. Uh, for me, Cage Warriors have got the best matchmaker in Europe in e and I think he's amazing. So I always knew that... When like for September, that show is going to be massive. If there's no crowd, which I think there isn't plans to be no, in September, no. is it? it's still going to be massive because they've got such a deep roster and they've got links to so many wonderful gyms fighters. So I always knew that with Fight Island. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, when they announced it as being Abu Dhabi, that's not actually what I was thinking it was going to be." Mm. But it may, it makes sense, and I think they've done really well from it. Um, I think I don't usually say this about the UFC because I think you get two or three fights on a card where it doesn't match. But they've actually their matchmaking for Fight Island was brilliant. The main the main events that they chose, typically at least, were really good. Like last weekend, Darren Till and Robert Whittaker, That for me was a perfect main event for no fans because I think I seen Dana White say I I thought that um, that wasn't going to be that type of fight. I always thought it was going to be technical. And because there was no crowd, I really enjoy. I really, like, I get engrossed in them kind of fights. Mm-hmm. I think the very first one was at, um, Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira. And that, that was the first or the second event. I mm-hmm. think that they did not on Fight Island, but at the Apex. Out of crowd. And that was, it was brilliant. And mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, I went there thinking, it's an easy Kevin Lee when Charles Oliveira chokes. I know Kevin Lee sometimes just before, you know, and, you got to hear from the corners, you got to hear a, a technical explanation about why Charles Oliveira was lighting them up on the feet and then taking it to the ground. And I think from a, you know, I, I did the whole trying to break into the media side of things, but now going back to being a fan, I actually quite enjoy it with no fans there. Like, I don't miss the one, and I like hearing the technical breakdown. The UFC have done a good job of having the right commentators for the events that they've gone for. Um, Like Paul, the one last weekend, I know the controversy around Dan Hardy Mm -hmm. and Herb Dean, but I think Dan Hardy, John Gooden, and Paul Felder. I was talking about this to my friends. The UFC have got groups of three commentators. Them three fit perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. I think Rogan, Cormier, and Anik works better than Rogan, Cruz, Anik. If that makes sense, Call Me Anic Cruz works okay, but not with Rogan and Cruz. There seems to be yeah, kind of uh, yeah. a, and I think that's one of the things that has shown brightest through. No fan says the comment read the technical breakdown. It's all been brilliant. I
2: mean, yeah. We we changed our like production style. So normally like we, we don't mic the corners or anything, uh, but for that event because we knew that there would be no atmosphere to sort of carry it through. You know, during during the rounds, everyone's watching the fight. In between rounds, that's when people get in the drink and they just kind of want to reset uh, and everything. And that we knew there would be no atmosphere in there, so we thought, right, well, we'll put um mounted microphones and, and cameras in both corners. Um, and we could actually use those in the rounds as well. So, like, if there was like a really like um, you know, like a really technical grappling exchange going on, or you know, a really nice bit of stand up and one of the corners is getting really vocal, the producer can sort of say to me, right, we're going to cut to red corner in the middle of a round and they could mic it put him on the little camera picture in picture and you can hear like in real time what the coach's instructions are and see the guy following the instructions which is like mm-hmm. something that you just wouldn't normally get in a broadcast so I, I think on that level it was um not having the crowd there it was uh, it was actually quite quite beneficial and we'll probably take some lessons
1: from that moving forward i don't think i've ever asked you this before brad but how how do you find commentating as a free? Because I used to think, oh, it has to be a two. The two was better. You know, the old Anik Goldberg days and uh, Baz and Quadros for Pride oh, Pedro, or Baz yeah. and um, Ronaldo. But I've kind of realised now, I quite like hearing lots of different voices. And I think for Cage Warriors, you and, and Josh, uh, Josh is brilliant when it comes to technical breakdowns as well, works, but I know sometimes you've had different people come in I know there was a, events where Rosie Sexton came in, and uh, yeah, I can remember the ones with Jens Pulver, I think, coming in a couple of times. I don't know if that was when you were there. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yes, it was, yeah. And it works, but I always wonder how doing it feels when there's more voices to try and get in. It's, um, it's more difficult, I'll say that, especially if
2: um, it's someone that you don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. that, having that rapport with someone is, is the most useful thing. So I've commentated with good friends of mine, uh, not on cage warriors, but on on like regional shows, who don't have maybe the experience or like you know the 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 the, the skill of, of doing the color commentary job. But well, because we've got such a good rapport, it sounds good because we're yeah. used to talking to each other. I think if like for example, Josh and I, uh, we've been commentating together for about eight years now, and uh, seven seven eight years. So to put someone else in the middle of that can be quite quite jarring. Um, we've done some things where we've had like Nathaniel Wood and Darren Stewart come and do the prelims with us, and it's very much a case of Josh and I commentating, and then between rounds we'll be like, right, what did you think of that? Rather than than them kind of joining in, um, yeah. just because it's difficult to build that rapport up. Um, I think with Rosie, uh, again, it was fairly easy because Rosie's a good friend of mine, uh, so I'm kind of used to talking to her. Um, but with like with Jen's Pulver, for example, when we did that Super Saturday. Um, listening to it back now I really don't like it because we just talk over each other the whole time yeah. um, I don't know if that's just me being like super critical or not but the worst thing for commentary is when two people are saying something at the same time like everybody goes mad at one point like oh big knockout but when someone's talking and someone butts in it just sounds really amateur um, and obviously like for me meeting Jens and spending the week with him was like fanboy heaven um, but I really don't like looking back at that thing now <laughs> Um I I think it's probably quite different as well because if you look at what the UFC are doing at the moment, um, they've essentially got like, so often you would have a play-by-play guy, a color analyst, and then a fighter. So that used to be Goldberg, Rogan, and then they would get Randy Couture or someone like that. Uh, So you've got three different perspectives, whereas now it's uh, a play-by-play guy and two ex-fighters. And I think that works really well because like you said with... Uh, with Felder and Hardy, they've you can tell they've got that fighter's camaraderie between them and then they speak to John differently and John kind of runs the ship and then they'll chip in with their ideas when they have them and then they've got different bits of banter between them and there's a bit of like friendly joshing at John every now and again, which I think works really well. Obviously, you know those guys are all really good buddies and you know it's all in good fun and everything. So I think it's a really good dynamic that they seem to have uh, got going on at the moment. Um, personal preference for me. I like working with Josh or like more recently Dan Strauss. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously Josh has moved to America now. So uh, every now and again, he's not been able to, to fly back for cage warrior. Mm-hmm. So we bring Dan Strauss in, which is like swapping one high level BJJ black belt for another, which is, is fantastic for me really still don't have to learn anything about grappling and don't intend to. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 I prefer working with those guys who are like super knowledgeable, they can do their thing, and I can do mine. But you know, if um, if Cage Warriors ever decide they want to mix it up, then you just you you just adapt, don't you? You just make it work.
1: Kind of not not to jump in again, Jeremy. No, you're was fine. the I don't know if you really want to go in this, but was the thing with Pulv more that, for example, say Rosie obviously knows the European MMA scene quite well. So Cage Warriors, she would probably have known probably ninety percent of the people, if not more, that were fighting on the card. Like in the research. I'm guessing, although Jens is a good commentator, I've always thought he's a good commentator, but how ingrained was he in the UK MMA and the European MMA system that he was able to... Because I always think a commentator is best when he's got a little bit of background knowledge on the fighter, not just breaking it down like, well, that is why that didn't work. Or, you know, the the little yeah. nuances that the, you pick up from knowing somebody or watching somebody a lot.
2: 100%. I mean, like, look, I've, I've, been, I've been doing this for over a decade now and, and the guys who were like in the UFC and, and in cage warriors, I've seen those guys have their first amateur fights and I've called a lot of their fights. So like you say, like have, having that to draw on um, is really useful. I mean, I don't like to make a lot of notes. I, I like to kind of do as much as I can from memory. I don't like to be looking at bits of paper and thinking, oh yeah, you know, he went, he had a 6-0 and over run during this time. I just want to be like, oh, I remember when he did this and, and I can kind of adapt that to, to what's happening. Um, but yeah, like you say, with, with Jens, for example, so he hadn't done any research whatsoever. He literally just turned up and said what he saw. Um, so there's there's a bit of a disconnect there, whereas Rosie, so I don't know if you remember, but Rosie only commentated on the uh, women's fights. Uh, and the All reason right. she was brought in was because she'd essentially trained with uh, Ash Daly, she's for Ash Daly um, training with Catherine Costigan, who they were trying to like push as a big star, and they thought Rosie's insight would um, obviously you know, bring a lot more to that role. So you know, she's got an intimate knowledge uh, of like Catherine's training camp because she was part of it. So again, it's a different angle coming in, and like you say, that familiarity it just makes it sound that like bit more authentic as opposed to someone who's a good commentator like. I, I'm, I think I'm a pretty good commentator. You could stick me in front of two guys I've never seen before and, and I'll do a good job of it. But stick me in with like Paddy Pimlet versus Brendan Locknane, two guys I've known for, you know, since they were young lads. I've called loads of their fights. I've seen all their fights. I'm going to do a much better job of
0: that. Right. It's it's easier to to dig in and give some backstory. Like, I mean, in, in America, the the baseball commentators are like that where they've, some of them, been in baseball their whole lives so they can like it, when there's lulls they can tell some stories and you know and maybe they're you know they stay hang out with the players all the time so they'd be like you know i was talking to so-and-so the other day and he was saying like stuff like that um you know it's interesting to see kind of the transition to the three-man team on the ufc side because especially at the first you could tell they were really kind of pinging off each other like a lot of oh i'm sorry go ahead you know there was a lot of that um but they've gotten a lot better. I think they figured out, like you were saying, they figured out how the teams work a little better.
1: It's, it's weird, though, because I think it works well for the UFC, but mm-hmm. it is fucking dreadful in professional wrestling. <laughs> it's really bad. It is really bad. And I think, like you said, they've, they've probably, the UFC kind of had to muddle their way to find out who was best working with who. Mm-hmm. And I still think that there's a couple that, if if when they put them together, I think, oh, that doesn't quite go for me. A lot. I think Dominic Cruz is a good commentator, but he he bounces off certain of our commentators not very well. Yeah. Like Rogan will say someone something and Dominic Cruz will go, well actually that's not yeah. and I just think it it kind of you start thinking, oh I think the most famous one with Cruz was the Andrade uh, and first fight where he's like you can't slam from that position. And Andrade just picks her up and slams her on a head and knocks her out and it's like uh, one of them awkward commentary moments because you're trying it's, to talk over someone else's technical advice. It's it's bizarre. Like I think there's there's a huge uh, and you get this with the ex fighters
2: on commentary a lot. Um, that there's a huge knowledge gap in terms of judging and scoring, um, and it's it's painful to you know. I mean, I, I don't like to trash anyone, but like watching Brave today uh, this afternoon. Um, and you hear the commentator saying things like, Oh, well, you know, he, he scored a late takedown, so he's probably won the round there. Ah, that's not how it works, man. Like yeah. <laughs> and that and that misinforms the fans as well, which yeah. changes the conversation and makes it more difficult, um, you know, to have a reasonable conversation around judging and scoring. Because some guys are gonna be like, Well, I heard the commentator say it on TV, so it must be true. Yeah. Um I've never I don't think there's any excuse for it, you know. the the criteria are just written down it's it's three pages long like uh, it's uh, i think it's a real shame when especially on the ufc broadcast you, you've got you've got guys at that level sometimes getting it wrong you, you just think like come on man i've Heart never
0: i've never been a big fan of uh, i think ufc used to do it i know bellator did it for a little while where they would be like we've got our you know our unofficial judge here to score the round and i was like it was it felt like it just it's it probably just ruined it for the audience because they couldn't think for themselves almost like, oh, I scored that one a 10-9 round. And I'm just kind of like, well, oh, what you're but you're not deciding the fight. So what does it matter what you scored it at? Let 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 the fans kind of part of the fun to me when I'm watching a fight, it's like, man, that's I think I feel like that was a 10-8 round. And you know, but if you have someone who has a mic on TV that's like, I scored a 10-9 round and you kind of feel like an asshole. You know, it's like <laughs> so I'm kinda I kind of I'm happy they kind of went away from that um, where they don't really have the guy that's scoring it on the side anymore. Um, Because I kind of like when they're like, I feel like that was a, you know, maybe I I have a feeling that he had that round. Maybe he edged that round out. I'm okay with that. But when they had the guy who was dedicated to being like the round scorer, it was just kind of, it bugged the shit out of me. Um, I
2: think like as a, as a fan, half the fun is like getting behind your fighter or hmm. how you've seen a fight play out and so yeah. okay this is what i've seen this is what i think this is how i think it's right. gonna um and then you get the drama you know if if, if the drama didn't matter they just announced the winner but they don't they say 29 28 to the red corner 29 28 to the blue corner and then there's a bit of a pause and then it's like oh shit yeah brilliant my guy won or my right. guy lost yeah. and like that's that's how sport works your guy doesn't win all the time right your team doesn't win all the time you take the losses with the wins and that's the enjoyment of it, you know? How how much better is that win after your guys lost two in a row? Right. And that's the whole point of, um, you know, following sports as a fan, as far as I can see it. So I don't mind, like, fans being like, oh, yeah, I thought it was a 10-8 round, right. talking absolute shit. Because that's what they thought. They're getting behind their guy, and they're sat with beers. They're not scoring a fight. Like, right. they're having a few drinks, and they're on their phone putting a tweet out about what they think the round should have been fucking scored instead of actually watching it. But I think it's yeah. frustrating, then, when you've got, like, commentators saying, oh, well, takedowns score really well at the end of the round. They don't. They don't score at all. Yeah, Literally not at all anymore. Like, right. Under the new criteria, a takedown, which does not cause damage, so if it's not a slam, uh, it is considered the same as a change of position. So it's the same as two guys on the cage spinning each other around. It, that's, all it's, that's all it's taken into consideration as. It's not counted as effective grappling unless it leads to something like strikes or a submission attempt. So people say like, oh, he got to take down at the end of the round. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's all there in the criteria for people to read. Right, right. So um, that's a bit of a bugbear for me, as you can probably tell. No, no, it's it's <laughs>
0: fine. It's fine. It's it's, uh, it's it's always fun to hear that shit, man. And it's always fun to me to like get together with, I have kind of the same group I get together with all the time for for any MMA event. <clears throat> it's funny to see how people even like even outside of fighters like pick their commentator preference you know or they'll be like you know i have i have a specific group of friends that are just like they're very polarized against dominic cruz or they're very polarized against dc and it's always funny to me to see that because i I think and you know obviously I've, i've met dominic cruz before and i've talked to him before and nice enough guy but he's he he can be very polarizing in in like how he views a fight or how he uh kind of throws his opinion out there and um i mean i don't know i don't know how you guys felt about you know his last fight where he really kind of came after the ref afterwards he wasn't happy about the stoppage um and he said some pretty nasty things afterwards um but you know i'm i'm typically a pretty big uh you know Dominic Cruz fan but i was just kind of like I just, why I
1: thought- when he said what he said, I thought I would be disappointed if an MMA referee didn't smell of booze and fags. <laughs> <laughs> but um no, I was in the commentary it, like though. what <laughs> but do you not think that we all get emotionally embarrassed. I've picked BJ Penn to win all of his last 15 fights. He's not won a fight since 2010. Why <laughs> the one outside that's... that bar? <laughs> yeah, even even that one, when he got knocked down by that big massive man, I just thought, yeah, that was a sucker punch, you didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but you just—I'm emo- emotionally invested. In- I-, I-, I think we've spoke about this before, John. I'm emotionally invested in BJ Penn mm-hmm. because he was one of the first people I really connected with. In that, when they tried to push like Chuck Liddell and all that,
0: yeah.
1: I wasn't a big Chuck Liddell guy. I-, I thought he was a great fighter, but there was something about BJ Penn—the fact that he told the UFC to pretty much fuck off if you're not going to let us go off—and do- I like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I still pick like if you said tomorrow that he's fighting Khabib. But like, yeah, it m- might submit him. <laughs> yeah <laughs> motivated dj is back <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean I, I know what you're saying though it's very it's very stone cold of him i guess you could say like it's very much yeah. a fuck the management um kind of what i've always kind of liked about mark hunt honestly he's never kind of put up with ufc's bullshit um mm-hmm. and he, i just like hearing the guy talk anyway you could tell he just doesn't he's like i want to get this over with so i can go have a beer and chill, chill the fuck out. I want to go back home and hang out with my family and my friends. Um, but I've, I've always enjoyed he's, that too. Um,
2: he's fighting some like Aussie rules footballer. Really? At some point. Yeah, when this... I think is it's when, a boxing I guess, match, isn't it though? Yeah, a, it's, yeah. You know, an yeah. MMA fight.
0: Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> little different. But I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, Mark Hunt's all, all about the hands anyway, mostly. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting. I, I always enjoy watching him fight just because he always seems to be the underdog and and I always like rooting for the underdog a little bit and then when it's Mark Hunt you're just kind of like this guy fucking I could go have a beer. To be
1: fair his UFC run was one of the success stories of the last 10 years because when they brought him in he was meant to and the fact that he was you know there was a spell like if you think the Sean McCorkle loss and you think Mark Hunt's just lost to Sean McCorkle and and he continued to fight and obviously then he ended up I I, I think originally I used to think He's been put on his back, he's done. And then he started getting quite good on his back to the point where he yeah. was able to get back up. And then and then he, he became like an unlikely hero who then eventually fell out with the UFC and didn't change his stance. Still did the same thing that he's always done. Went to fight, said he's said his piece. So there's been less of that, unless it's to do with fight pay. I think fight up his wasn't necessarily fight pay, mm. it was more that you know. Lesnar was on God knows what Right. <laughs> and he was able to fight him on that kind of stuff. But I think we're not going to see as much of that going forward. I think we're starting to see now a company line being towed by 95% of the fighters for the UFC. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like last weekend, that last final probably pride versus pride fight that we're probably ever going to get in the UFC with Shogun and, and Lil Nog, that, element of history has gone I, I watched that and i really enjoyed the fight but it made us very sad at the same time because yeah. Yeah, same. unless the doom signs him again about the doom over him fight which is two pride people or i think we're probably at sc- scraping the barrel
0: yeah for anyone else now well and i think that honestly the 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 state of you know state of the world with the pandemic and and all that stuff is it really it's it's set against fighters you know because now there's less options you know there's there's less option to get paid at this point and it's like well if you want to fight you'll take this money you know it's it's, it's kind of turned into that it's more of a leverage thing and i don't want to say that that's what's happening but i feel like that's probably what's happening <laughs> like it's just oh, it just kind it, of feels like
2: 100 percent is you know obviously bellator in in the u.s was you know that their, their viable competition right you can go and make the same money or in certain cases better money in bellator right. Um, and a big thing for a few guys is the PFL. Uh, they're doing that million-dollar tournament. So you win the tournament and you're getting the best part of a million dollars. Yeah. Um, and they've they've shut down their entire season. So they're, they're probably not doing any events this year. Um, a, g- a good friend of mine uh, signed with them. He was supposed to fight five times and then get this million-dollar tournament final. Um, and they've offered him $1,000 a month to sit out for a year. And he's, he's 31. And he just can't afford to do it. The Problem is, there's not really anywhere that he can leverage them to say, "Well, I'm going to go fight somewhere else now." Right. Like he's asked for his release, but you know, realistically, he's probably not going to get signed by the UFC because he had a bit of a falling out with Dana White. Mm. He fought in the Contender Series and had a—he uh, took the guy down right at the end of his fight, and Dana White was like, "I'm not signing you because you took the guy down at the end of the fight," and they had a bit of a Twitter yeah. spat kind of thing over it. Uh, so he's really got nowhere else to go. Um, and like you say, like the, there's not really anywhere at the moment for these guys to leverage the UFC on. So I think you're right. We are going to see more people just being like, well, you know what? I'm grateful for a job in the short term. And and for the guys at the bottom end of the roster as well, there's going to be so many opportunities to jump in because they, yeah. they're, they're having to put so many events on in the short space of time. Guys get injured. guy test positive for COVID. If you're ready and you're fit, in you go.
0: Right, right. You've seen that several times where where folks got sick or or just got injured i mean that the injury thing is is kind of a normal thing but like i think even more so now you have a lot more people that are just ready to go because you never know when you're gonna when the phone's gonna ring you just you just don't know because you might be the only you know the only welterweight ready to go fight for the belt and they need they need someone to go fight for the belt you know and it's you all of a sudden you get the jump 10 rungs in the ladder because you're the only guy ready so um I'm sure it's a, a weird amount of pressure to stay in shape and not give in to that. Like, well, I need to go get a job. You know, I need to go and just kind of give in to this. And when things go back to normal, I might go back to it type thing. Um, it's interesting to see because I think we're seeing a lot of matchups that don't normally happen. That wouldn't normally happen on a normal basis. You know, you'd see someone on a smaller card in, you know, Idaho or something like that. Boise, you know, you know, UFC Boise or something, you know, that would be a throwaway Wednesday night card kind of thing. Um,
2: well look at this uh Chimayev who's come in. You know, 6 and 0. Nobody really knew who he was. Um, you know, the hardcore guys in Europe like oh yeah, this, you know, keep an eye on this guy. Yeah. He's now got two wins in the space of 15 days. He's going to fight again in the middle of August. This guy's going to be a superstar by the end of the year. Right. Like that's you know stay ready so you don't have to get ready it's a terrible cliche but man it fucking works sometimes
0: yeah if you can scrape by and do that i mean it 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 totally makes sense you know if you can't then you know i i don't blame anybody for either situation because you do have to you know you do have to feed your family you do have to pay the rent so i don't know um let's see i'm gonna take a quick piss break because i'm about to piss myself if you guys want to do the same we can take a quick break that, yeah, I and that. then yeah, uh, I we can come we can come, come well, back actually. to this <laughs> all right i'll yeah, see yeah. you guys in a minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> welcome back Second i was i was like trying so hard to concentrate on what you guys were saying <laughs> but at the same time i was like i don't want to piss myself in this chair right now Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, man it's been good to have both of you on man is this have we had both of you on at the same time before I think we have no we haven't we've come close several times we like yeah planned
2: uh, it we talked about it for about four years I think yeah
0: yeah and it's, it's nice to actually have it done and and to get everybody in because I don't know you two guys are just so fucking fun to go back and forth with online so I was like I was like I gotta get them on together I gotta get them on together um I uh. I was just, I was just actually, you know, I, I got done taking a piss and I, I just popped in for a second to talk to the wife, and I was telling her, she's like, "How's it going?" I was like, "It's really good." Like, I really want to, I really want to hang out with these guys in person one day if things can fucking straighten the fuck out, you know? Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah.
0: I hear him coming back. Here he comes. They're arguing about darts. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's taking forever. Um, man. I, uh, so how how much longer until you guys are are back to, oh, how much longer do you guys are back to, uh, to Cage Warrior stuff?
2: Um, so, uh, the the event in September is the, oh, hang on, let me, let me take a quick look at the dates here. It's like the third weekend of September. So, um, 24th, 25th, 26th. Yeah. So I, I will, travel up there um on the 21st of september and i'll I'll live in the hotel for a week
0: i bet um, i mean i'm sure talking to everybody everybody's just really pumped to get back to it they have to be at this point it's yeah, just yeah, so yeah. long without any kind of event you know
2: but it's been so the past like three weeks it's been like really busy for the guys in the office like doing the matchmaking mm. um obviously it's it's 30 fights over three days is a lot is, is a lot to get done you know usually we do we do 10 fights per event there, there or thereabouts yeah. um so we've got to get you know all the guys who are like contractually rostered to cage warriors who we, we owe fights to they've got to be on as a priority and then if we can't match them up with guys that are also on the roster then we offer the fights out to guys outside and obviously the good thing at the moment is everybody wants to fight so yeah, there's been no shortage of people looking to fill those slots. Um, so, in in that respect, it's probably not been as difficult as it might normally have been to match that number of fights for a short space of time. But it's it's the case of we've got to get sixty lots of medicals now. Uh, you know, the, the, the medicals are very very strict in the UK at the moment. Um, yeah. So they need they need blood tests, they need ocular scans, they need brain scans. Um, and getting 60 people to do that and get all the correct paperwork back so right. they can be signed off is, uh, is not always as easy as, as it might be. So
0: Yeah, it's got to be chaos for sure.
2: Yeah, uh, and uh, the closer it gets to fight week, guys get injured in training camps and you're looking for late replacements. So I imagine it's going to get a lot more stressful before it gets less stressful. But I think um, once we're there in the hotel, it's going to be a case of, you know what, if someone gets sick or injured on that week, there's no replacements. So we just... We just scrap the font and and move
0: on sorry i wonder if like it it seems this way at least from watching it from the outside and you guys might feel the same you might not um it seems like the the cards have felt better because it's you got a lot of fighters that seem to have a lot of aggression to get out like we haven't been able to fight in so long you know i'm going balls to the wall on this one maybe they're a little more reckless than they would have been um in a normal basis where they get regular work um, have you kind of noticed the same things?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think with the UFC as well, um, a big difference that we've seen is they've used a small cage. Yeah. So in the Apex, um, in, in particular, they've had that, uh, I don't think it's 18 foot, I think it's 24 foot cage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the standard size of the cage warriors? One we actually have an 18 foot one as well, which is basically like knockout central, like right? you can't move without getting knocked out. One yeah. of those things, um, so I think like that's aided like the kind of all action nature of the fights as well. But like, like going back to what we were saying about Jamaya, for example, like the way that guy's fought, you know, he's gone out and just ob- obliterated two guys, he's come out uninjured and fit and ready to go again. So he- he's really harnessed the fact that. You know, people are are, are craving the sport. They want to see the fights. And he's come out of it as a star. He's gone in and and smashed some guys. He probably could have fought quite conservatively. You know, he's a wrestler at heart. He probably could have just laid on top of those guys for three rounds, got his win, and and gone home successful in his UFC debut. Instead, he's gone out there like a maniac um, against, you know, a, a guy, you know, with all due respect, John Phillips not very good on the ground, but has knocked out, I think, 21 of his 22 victories. So, that's not a guy that you want to accidentally get caught by. Sure. Uh, And Reese McKee, who we fought the week after as well, also a knockout and submission artist. So, you know, he's gone out there and uh, gone balls to the wall against these guys and and smashed it. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a, a sense of people realizing that there's a lot more eyes on them. And with the restrictions in place on travel, there's potentially a lot more opportunities for them to have prominent places on cards. Um, and we all know the UFC is like it's more about the court of public opinion than it is who's actually the best fighter in the division True, you know Conor McGregor gets whatever title shot he wants when he comes back mm. because he's the guy that talks and he's the guy that puts bombs in seats and, uh, and sells pay-per-views so I think we've definitely seen a lot of guys taking this by the reins and, you know, using it as a real, like, star maker period for them.
0: Well, and there's less time, right? There's less time to research your opponent. So you can just kind of be like, you know, a lot of these guys, they're taking the fight a few days before, right? And and they're kind of like, well, I don't know as much as I would know had I had a full training camp to research him. So I'll watch a few videos and, you know, just fight my fight. You know, and I think that that, has led to more interesting fights because I think that we've seen it before where two you know two guys we are like fuck yeah I can't wait to see these two guys fight this is a this is a huge fight this guy's awesome this guy's awesome let's see what happens and then it just goes in and it's a stalemate you know it's it's Tyron Woodley and Steven Wonderboy Thompson you know it's just like fuck man I, this had the potential to be an explosive fight but they're both in their heads about the other person so much that nothing fucking happens and I think that all these short notice fights are probably, you know, very helpful in that respect. You know, it's like, well, I don't have to overthink it now. I just have to go in and fight my fight, you know, stick to my game plan and adjust as needed. And I think that, I think that it's just led to better cards. Like I've just, I feel like, I'm like with Ian, I've, I've posted less about them on Twitter and stuff like that. And I've just been able to sit back and enjoy them more because they're, they're, they're just, you, it's such an unknown because even the fans, and much less, you know, and, and probably more so, the people who are covering the sport um, professionally get a little more of a chance to research it. But there's no preconceived notions going into it. It's like, well, let's see how this fight fucking goes. Like, you know, it's, it just it feels better.
2: It feels yeah, a lot it's better. it's more like it's more raw. Like, mm. like you know, you, you go back in the day when when guys were fighting each other, and you know, you're fighting a tournament, so you didn't know you're gonna fight. And that person may have no fight footage that you've seen. It's not like now you just go on YouTube and you get twenty fights. of The guys like back then, it was like, oh yeah, I saw like an old VHS tape of this guy in a karate tournament in nineteen eighty nine, or something. Like yeah. you've got nothing to go off, so you just focus on what on what you can do. And I see a lot a lot of that with like. Yeah, you know, the the sort of very novice amateur guys. You know, they they've had no tape to study on their opponent. They are oh, they know that guy's from a kickboxing gym or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, obviously the skill level's not there and the experience isn't there, but it's raw. And you don't it doesn't need to be uh, GSP versus Anderson Silva, you can have two guys who've had a years training and it can still be a good fight for different reasons, just because they they just want to go out there and stick it on the other guy.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, man. It's uh, it's just kind of cool to see, and you know. I, I don't know. I've just enjoyed them so much more, and I think it's like, and Ian, you might be able to lean into this. Like, I think that I think that part of this is think of early on, right? When you're when you first fell in love with the sport, when you first started watching it, like you were saying, Brett, that the resources just weren't there to to really dig into it. You're kind of like, I've seen this guy fight before, and I fucking like him. Like that's all you really had to go off of. Now you've got like tons of background to look into. You can go back into the fight libraries if you've got Fight Pass. You can go, you know, you can look, find fights, you know, amateur fights even of some of these guys on YouTube. It's It was just when, when I first got into the sport, I had such limited information that it made everything a little more, you know, exciting. Even if it was going to be a squash, maybe I didn't know it was going to be a squash because I knew nothing about Glover to share. You know, like I knew nothing about this guy. So it ended up being a pleasant surprise, even if he knocked out the guy that I was familiar with. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. I think as well, though, going on what Brad was saying before with people jumping in short numbers and all that, I think what this whole MMA sphere in lockdown proves is everything's about timing. It's it, it, the talent will always, you know, rise to the top, but if you can time something correctly, it's like uh, Masvidal's always been a good fighter. But if he had been in the position he is in now, 10 years ago, it might not have resonated as well as it does now. He's always you know, been the same kind of guy, really, same kind of fighter. It's not like he's drastically changed his fight game. He's just endeared himself to fans by using different methods. And I think, I mean, Brad might not agree with me here, but he was talking about Paddy Pimler before, who I'm a big fan of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's other... Fighters from within his region, you know, like Chris Fishgold and um, Molly McCann, both great fighters. But if I had to say out of the three, who is the one I think would thrive in the UFC more, it is Paddy. But the timing for me has never been right for him to be there. And I think he might have been there now with lockdown, hadn't have, maybe he's pushed back and coming in and fighting in September. I think he'll be there next, next year at, at the latest, I think now. I mean, Brad might know more than me, but he's got something about him. Yeah. Whether he's going to become a, a title contender, I don't I don't know that. But he's got something about him. And I think when the timing's right for him to come to the UFC, then we will we will know that. And I think like we we're saying about um I'm gonna butcher his name is it Chimaev? Chimaev. is that yeah, Chimayev, I can never pronounce okay. the Russian names. Yeah, yeah. How's my Chimaev? He, he's timed perfectly to put two close fights together. Reese McKee is a great fighter. He, I, I knew when he signed, he probably wasn't going to win, but he's got his foot in the door now. And now it's up to him to grow into that that division. So he, his timing was to do it now. Yeah. And I think as fans, when back in the day when we all got into it, there were guys that you didn't know, but the feeder systems are on fight pass. Um, the you know, like Brad was saying the day, I really enjoyed watching, um, Mohamed Makhayev on brave because there's been so much hype behind him. I've seen some of his amateur stuff and he's good. He's very good. Needs a lot of work, but you know, there was people already the other day saying he's, the, he's a future UFC. And I think people now are saying, well, let's slow the tracks down a little bit. Mm. There's something there to work with. And um, I think that it's time. It is time. Even as a fan, it's time to, to know who's going to be what in the sport. I thought Ben Askren was going to come into the UFC and and run riot oof you got knocked out by a flying
0: name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think well i think what the pandemic has helped with as far as the sport goes is <clears throat> i mean the past few times i've had you guys on and we've talked about mma it's like there's so many cards in a normal basis and you're kind of like well nothing feels special now now right now everything feels special because there's not a million different cards going on all at once. There's not two cards in a week. Sometimes that they were up to it's, it's been nice because you can be like, I can actually sit back and focus on this one card and not be like, Oh, there's, there might be more cards coming up in the future, but it's not like I've got two cards next week. And there's a few different cards the week after it's, it's made it special again. I think that what MMA had going for it when i got into it and when we all started talking to each other is it was um an event to look forward to not an event to keep up with you know it it just felt like after a while you're just keeping up with it and like there's just so much shit i don't know what to give a shit about anymore you know
2: yeah i mean like i'll, I'll be honest i'm probably not going to watch UFC tonight i, I, I might watch Joanne Calderwood's fight um but i'll probably watch it tomorrow yeah but these Past couple of weeks with the fight island stuff, and I think part of it's because so many of the guys were from Cage Warriors, and, and a, a few of those people are, you know, good friends of mine outside of uh, of MMA. So obviously you get excited for them, but I, I, I've not felt more kind of like excited and invested in UFC cards as a fan for so long. Like you know, in, in like the normal scheme of things, like you know, sometimes I work every weekend of the of a month calling MMA fights, so. You know, I, I could be in a situation where I've called an event on the Friday night and the Saturday night and I get back to a hotel on the Saturday night. Am I gonna stay up till six AM watching UFC? Mm-mm. Probably not. It's like yeah. the last thing I wanna do. So it's been nice having like these big gaps and, and and you know, coming out of the grind of it a little bit, um, and just sitting there thinking Holy shit! My mate Molly's fighting in a few weeks. Like, I'm gonna get pumped for that. I'm gonna go get my Molly McCann t-shirt out the back of the wardrobe and, right. and stick that bad boy on and, <laughs> and just just get get back into it as a fan again.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, you brought up Masvidal just a just a little bit ago, Ian, and I was kind of curious about, um, you know, the last fight he had against Kamara Usman. Uh, you know, I I know he took it on short notice. Um, do you? Do either of you feel like that was a mistake or was that just something he needed to go ahead and just take just in case it worked out for him? Because I feel like he was just tuned up that whole fight. Like I think that, it was
1: win-win, win-win. Mm-hmm. Because if he had have won, you would have been like, well, you had a couple of days notice right. and he's beat the best fighter in the division. Mm-hmm. He's lost. And you can say, well, I only had a few days or a week or whatever it was, and I've helped the company out. I've made a shitload of money because if the early pay-per-view numbers are correct... He's done really well out of that, and I don't think his name's dropped for losing it. You could they could easily next week say right in October we're doing Masvidal McGregor, we're doing Masvidal Nate Diaz too, we're doing Masvidal versus Nick Diaz for example if they decided he wanted to come back, mm. and you would you would want to see that. Um, right. Do I think it would have been different? Probably not. Yeah, I think that Us- Usman's going to fight his fight. I think it would have been a different fight if it was Gilbert Burns in there because I think. He could have possibly done something on the ground. I think his takedown defense has turned pretty good recently, actually, and his striking's obviously leaps and bounds. I still think Usman's the best in the division, though.
0: Right, right,
2: yeah, I, I totally agree with Ian on that, and it goes back to what he was saying a minute ago about timing. Like, if Masvidal had knocked Usman out in the first round of that fight, I mean, we've never seen we would never see anything like that. That would have been absolutely off the charts, mm. insane all-time greatest moment in mma arguably um but but he didn't and you know yeah you know he he didn't look great in in losing but most people don't look great win or lose against usman he's not that kind of fighter that you know really you're going to go and have a big ding dong with him like uh like colvington was that was kind of the the exception to the rule um but at the same time you know he didn't get knocked out in the first round he didn't get submitted And he'll always kind of have that to fall back on and say, well, you know what? I stepped up on a week's notice and fought the best guy in the division, maybe the best pamper vampire in the world. Um, And and I didn't get finished. So, you know, give me a full camp and then you can run that fight back again. Or give me Nick Diaz or give me Colin McGregor. He's in that position where, you know, and that, you know, I think that BMF belt's stupid, but it's the good kind of stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'll watch him fight Nick Diaz again, no problem. Like, why not?
0: Yeah, I I think, I think. I think you guys both had it right. It's it. It was a win-win for him in the fact that it doesn't. The loss to Usman does not negate what happened before that, at all. In 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 no way or fashion. And uh, I was like, you know, I think it's going to be a tough fight because I mean we know that Usman's a beast. Like it's it's crazy. And um, so so I was when I when I, saw, I watched the fight. I was like I was like okay. Well, I still don't. It it doesn't make me take less stock in Masvidal whatsoever because it's it's Kamaru Usman, uzman i will say it was a very uh pleasureful experience to watch uzman fight colby covington because i really don't like colby covington at all um i don't know what it i mean i know what it is uh, i i'm not a big fan of uh his way of playing heel um it's very it's very piss poor for someone who's watched a lot of pro wrestling in his life um and it's very it's very like cheap pop type stuff. But uh it felt really good to watch because I I can't tell if he's really good at being a heel or really <laughs> bad at being a heel. I don't know how either of you feel about Colby Covington, but I feel like I feel like he's good and bad at it. Like when he's bad, you're kinda like, Oh shit, you fucked the, up on that that promo the, you cut. The
1: infuriating thing about him though is that he's actually very good at fighting. Yeah. Like, he is really skilled. So you you want to hate him, but then when he does something good in the cage, like, the fact... I thought he was doing all right against Usman until, you know, like, the final exchanges where he was, you know, where he got caught quite a bit and obviously finished. But, um, yeah, I think what we are saying before with Masvidal, the timing thing, that is why, for me, and everyone, and Brad probably will think of this, because we're British, everyone's like, so you're a Bispan fan? But one of my, I was never a Bispen fan, but one of my favorite MMA moments is Bispin beating Luke Rockhold on two weeks notice because yeah. nobody thought it would happen. And the fact that he stood up on short notice and did it, it makes, and you know, it was probably the only way bispin was going to get that title shot because mm. he's never, like he could never get over that hump of a contender fight right. and he did it. And like, he, he achieved the ultimate thing that you probably get in the sport to do and he And for me, I I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It was like the anniversary for for the fight. Every time I watch it, I can't help but get like pumped up by it.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a better story. That's
1: what Masvidal was chasing, I think. Yeah,
0: and it's a better story too, right? Like it's, I almost love that that coming out of left field, um, winning a title better than watching this guy on the road just destroying everybody and getting the title. Mm -hmm. Like it's almost like this guy who obviously worked very hard during his whole career all of a sudden gets this random shot and he gets to now you know nobody takes it seriously including the champion going into the fight and all of a sudden he's (laughs) the champion you're like what the fuck it it creates such a, a bigger what the fuck moment like i feel like the more you can create those what the fuck moments the more memorable it is like i feel like i feel like uh you know bisping's you know, winning the title is way more memorable than a lot of people winning the title.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, a similar thing with Masvidal. Like, I don't think they ever expected him to beat Darren Till in London. I mean, no. I, I I know for a fact that the UFC were putting a lot of stock on Darren Till winning that fight. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I called that fight for the BBC. So I sat cage side and actually got to commentate on that live. Um, and the BBC's whole presence there was based around Darren Till winning and then them getting behind him for another fight and another fight. So, um, in fact, now that I come to think about it, I called the BMF fight for the BBC as well. So maybe I'm Darren Till's good luck, John. I think I should be there more often. And then, uh, but no, yeah, you know, I, 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 you know, if you look at Masvidal to that point, he was, you know, certainly not a journeyman fighter. If some people have made him out to be, but he's always been maybe the gatekeeper to the to the to, to the top guys. Right. You know, he's going to give anyone a good fight. He'll beat a few. He'll lose to a few. And he'll take a lot of guys to distance. Uh, and he'd been out of the cage for what a year and a half before he fought Darren Till, right? Um, till you know had a lot of hype behind him, uh, just come off the title loss to, to Woodley, and they were trying to build him back up. So, yeah, home country fight.
0: Did you so? Out. Did you feel so i don't i don't i mean obviously i don't know how involved you are on the back end operations of something like a bbc fight i know you're calling the fight but like did you feel the deflation from bbc like when that 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 wind didn't happen you're like oh shit
2: 100 like, so the um uh the producer at the bbc who had, had got me in for this thing um you know talked to him afterwards he was clearly gutted because mm. he's obviously been pushing it you know because they're not, you know, BBC aren't particularly interested in MMA, right. but he's pushed it and pushed it and pushed it, especially for radio as well. Like, you know, it's like, okay, well, this is basically going out to, like, taxi drivers and people driving driving around the streets at 10 o'clock at night. Right, so, yeah. it's, it, you know, audience-wise, it's not going to be doing, like, record-breaking numbers for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they like to have coverage at major sporting events, and he sold it to them as being a major sporting event, and this guy, Darren Till, is the next big guy, and you know, he got Heroes Reception, as he did in Liverpool a couple of years before. Um, and yeah, when the event finished, like, obviously, <laughs> we've just finished commentating. There's, there's myself, uh, Josh, who does Cage Warriors with me, did colour commentary. Uh, and a gentleman called Nick Pete, who does um, a lot of uh, combat sports on talk radio in the UK. And uh, a lady called Layla, who's our presenter on Cage Warriors. And we were the broadcast team for the night. So we, like, wrap up. We're all really pumped. Like, yeah, high-fiving. Great job, guys. And the producers like oh no that guy just got knocked <laughs> out like, this is never happening again
0: <laughs> uh it's got to be a weird situation for him the next monday it's like ah, yeah i know what yeah, i hyped we, up
2: we, with the bmf fight they didn't fly us out to america they we just did that from london yeah so we just went in a studio and they put it on tv for us <laughs>
0: <laughs> was that it's like was that really weird to do to commentate something you were watching on tv
2: yeah, it was so strange, so strange. So I did it with two fighters who've never really done commentary before. Yeah. So it was basically just a lot of me talking, but then like, uh, and obviously this is like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning UK time, mm-hmm. and we're all absolutely knackered. And there was like a couple of moments where I've just like just watching it and forgot to commentate. Like, <laughs> <and> the producers <laughs> in the background like, "What's going on?" Yeah. <laughs> uh.
0: God, that's funny. Um, yeah, you, know, you know, Ian, you brought up earlier um, the awkwardness of uh, a three-man team in pro wrestling uh, commentating. Mm. Are you aware of a uh, of a uh, a Twitter account called Booker T Commentary Stan? No, at all. At no. Booker at Booker Comstan. I've written this down. Oh I'm yeah. Already. <laughs> at Booker yeah. Comstan, it's just. Vi- they just post videos of of random Booker T commentating on things. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> one of the funniest Twitter accounts I follow, easily one of the funniest. Um, just just like there's the time I guess in um, ah, shit. Which one was that? it? Was Impact when he was he was doing commentary for Impact and he jumped in the ring with the microphone and started beating the shit out of people. <laughs> <laughs> With the live microphone, you are <laughs> like the whole time. Do,
1: do you know what it is, though? I've used lockdown. I um, su- subscribed again to the network. Yeah. And I, I thought, right, I'm going to go back to my childhood. I'm going to choose specific wrestlers, and I'm going to follow their career arc by going through shows. So this is going to sound mental. My favorite wrestler of all time really is Earthquake, <laughs> just because he Cena. Yes, John Tenta looks like he shouldn't be a wrestler, but he is the wrestler that I think I deserve in my life. Um, <laughs> so I watched his full arc and then coming across some of just the mental people that they, that not just the WWE, but even WCW, thought that people would want to see. Oh, like God. that bloody fryer took or something it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, well, what the... Why have they decided that? The, and it, it just makes you appreciate that no matter how bad life is at the moment, Absolutely. there's some fucking weird stuff out there That's people have <laughs> tried to push on in the mainstream.
0: Did either of you guys yeah. watch uh, that series that came out, The Dark Side of the Ring? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Goodness.
0: Very good. It's like I've, I've watched a, quite a few of them. I haven't watched all of them yet, but man, there are some. The Legion of Doom one is just. That was my that was my tag team growing up. I was like I had notebooks for school that had the Legion of Doom on them. I was like, this this is my team. I had like their action figures, all that stuff. And to watch all that I'm just kinda like, wow. It didn't like it didn't ruin my image of them as a kid because I understood where I was as a kid. Like I wouldn't understand any of that anyway. But it was it's wild to think like I was talking to some of my friends who I, I grew up watching a lot of wrestling with, went to a lot of wrestling events together um as you know, through high school and, and college and stuff. And it, it was just like, man, some of the people who have passed away that probably have some of the craziest stories we'll never hear ever again, you know, to to just that that we were exposed to. And man, that dark side of the, that dark side of the ring series was just so fucking good, man.
2: Yeah, I I, I kind of maybe didn't realize like just how big the Road Warriors were, like and you just think maybe if they didn't have, uh, you know, if, if Hawk didn't have those issues outside of the ring, like they could have been even bigger. Like, yeah, yeah I I kind of remember cause I, I, I sort of stopped watching wrestling around the late nineties, but I did remember them like popping up every now and again in WWF, but not regularly. Like they'd be there for a little while, you know, maybe like a few matches or something. I obviously like had no idea at the time that there was issues you know going going on out, outside the ring and it was always like such a big thing when they came back because they got like that big reception and the music and they come out with the shoulder pads and I've always been a sucker for a guy in face paint like you know, I love the <laughs> ultimate warrior love yeah. Sting love Demolition mm-hmm. um uh, you know Le- Legion of Doom were like that sort of the quintessential like two big dudes in face paint that just kick off so yeah like,
0: yeah I think I think the yeah, big thing yeah. to me to realize is like how incestuous all the um all all of the promotions were with each other. I I didn't realize like you know growing up the you know Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, you know, any of those guys that were, they're in the Four Horsemen like that those were always WCW guys to me and I didn't realize, you know, Arn Anderson had a, a pretty big stand in the WWF like I yeah, to really- me it's, it's all of what you were exposed to cuz so growing up as a kid um, I, I really had a lot you know especially in the 90s I had a lot of WCW exposure because of TBS here in the States. They ran WCW three times you know there was there' there was, an, there was a, an event on Saturday night, an event on Sunday night and then they'd have clash of the Champions once a quarter and like it was always what I saw. I would see WWF but I would see WCW more. So I would asso- it's, it's weird how you would associate one character with a certain promotion but then you 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 get across time like and watch these dark side of the ring things you realize the regional thing was so huge like they'd be gigantic in Michigan you know it'd be huge in Detroit or or in Ottawa Canada or something like that and you barely heard of them here like a, the Dino Bravo story he was gigantic in Canada he was just a you know he was a jobber almost here in the yeah. states yeah. it's kind of wild to see
2: if you think back to like that kind of sort of nineties era, it was only really Sting, The Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels, who never jumped ship at any point, right? Yeah. Like right. most of the big guys jump ship at some point.
0: Mm. Yeah. And and they had some wild, like some 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 wild themes to them when they would jump. And you're kind of like well, why did they think that would work? You know, you had uh, fucking uh, in WCW, you had El Higante, right? El Higante was incredible in WCW. Then he shows up as Giant Gonzalez in WWF and nothing happens with him. You know, it's in the skin suit, in the skin suit, which was <laughs> just freaked me out. You know, I was just kind of like, this is not, it felt like uh, we had this guy in the States. I forget what his name was, but he was like on on public television on pbs he was uh he was the guy that taught you about human anatomy and he just had the skin suit that was that showed you the inside of the human body and and that's what that's what giant gonzalez looked like to me and i was like i can't take this guy seriously that's el gigante i don't give a fuck what you say but
2: uh i think the worst one for me was um when gold went to wcw and they introduced him <laughs> and he was basically like a fucking child molester
0: <laughs> so bad is that what he was
2: called seven us it was at seven yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they like, they, they did this like really like proper like undertaker start entrance where he like he floated to the ring and it looked like he was like genuinely hovering and he just got a mic and he was like oh yeah by the way i'm called seven now and this is fucking stupid so uh oh it's dustin Rhodes, by the way i yeah, used to be called goldbird like, what the fuck man oh
0: my god <laughs> uh did, have you ever yeah, from, either... from
2: the company that brought you the judy bagwell on a scaffold match or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's
0: there was such weird shit did you guys ever watch um or do you guys ever listen to something to wrestle with the podcast something to wrestle yeah, with yeah, yeah, oh man the the gold dust uh episode of something to wrestle with is one of my favorite podcasts i've ever listened to just because like i like hearing about all that behind the music crazy shit you know that, go- that went on in, in pro wrestling because It's, it's, I I don't know if it's part of it's part, partially nostalgic because I was a fan at the time. And then me now understanding what the gravity of, you know, being addicted to drugs and having, you know, all these problems outside of the ring are. But something about that Gold Dust episode was just fucking incredible. Like Dustin Rhodes, like I remember Dustin Rhodes when he was, uh, you know, just. Dusty Rhodes' son that showed up in the WCW, you know, and he was giving everybody the fucking bulldog or whatever, whatever the fuck his move was, right? And um, he was just a a, a Texas cowboy kind of, kind of theme to him. And then um, he moved over to be Goldust, and I still remember really liking that character and not being young enough to not realize that that was Dustin Rhodes still too, like how they could still pull the wool over their, over their, over the eyes of some of the fans, um it was just a really cool episode if, if any of you are wrestling fans out there and haven't listened to the something to wrestle with podcast with bruce bruce pritchard it's such a good one the gold dust episode um
1: yeah i definitely have to check out yeah yeah I'm, I'm i'm addicted to uh the lapsed fan ah yes i don't know if you've heard the problem with them is that the podcast are seven hours long so i have to listen to it over like a month but they did an um, episode of, I think it was SummerSlam 92, which was in in we- Wembley Arena in, in the UK. Mm. And they did like a retrospect on that. And just, I had read Bret Hart's autobiography, but I couldn't remember them talking about that particular match. And the fact that the British Bulldog turned up the night before and basically told Brett Hart that he's been smoking crack for a week. <laughs> and like, they obviously do an impression of the British Bulldog. Like I'm smoking crack, Mr. Hitman and stuff like that. And I will go back and just find that clip on YouTube and listen to just that segment at yeah. least once every couple of months, because it's... it is so funny. And it makes you think like how on earth, were these functioning adults allowed to be on television right. because the stuff they were doing, and I mean, if that was now, obviously they wouldn't be able, social media. You would have been recorded, yeah. probably doing cocaine off a stripper's ass when you were meant to be, you know, at some TV taping or something like that. But like I say, the network's amazing for going back and just like I love, I love Earthquake. I just can't, <laughs> can't even express how much I love everything about him. The fact that he just bounces off the rope before he dropped like he kind of rolls against it and <laughs> drops a, a leg drop is just it's it's a work of art
0: he needed he needed that trajectory he just needed yeah, it yeah. so bad but uh i don't know man it's just i think i think a lot of it is what you said that the lack of internet helped a lot that probably it was a lot of pr saving um i gotta imagine there
2: was that, that famous story wasn't there about um the iron sheik and hacksaw jim duggan yes uh, so they were like going to a show and they got pulled over and they had like cocaine and weed in the car and stuff and uh, they, obviously they missed the show because they got arrested but I think they, they kind of were like okay you guys can, can go on kind of thing and they got in more trouble because one of them was a heel and one of them was a face and they got caught riding in the car together yeah. and it was the 80s and people just didn't do that Like Vince right. didn't care that like, the Iron Sheik had like a fucking kilogram of crack in his fucking glove <laughs> box he was more worried that he'd been caught driving with hacksaw
0: Kfabe was uh was huge right like it was it was one of those things like you don't break that shit like it just didn't happen at that point and i feel like with if the internet never came along maybe it would never have changed but you so. almost had to right like it was it was one of those things like everybody's got a camera in their phone now it's like oh look i just saw the iron Sheik and hacksaw jim duggan together And it's like oh okay so you almost have to embrace the fact that they almost had to like lean into the fact that yes this is all like a pre-written type deal. You know, I never I've never I've never called wrestling fake because I know that that's a bad thing to do. But like to to you have to acknowledge that there's a there's a trajectory trajectory and a and a point to the story, right? Or they're supposed to be. I don't know how much it is now, but um <clears throat> I don't know. I think the internet had a huge influence on them like you saw it come through the attitude era i think the attitude era was the last time they could really hold that kayfabe um in the wwf uh into the wwe where it's like now you know our guys are being filmed all the times of the day they walk into a gas station someone's going to pull out their phone and just be filming them the whole time so you kind of have to lean into it you know
2: like when, when i was a kid in like a, a young kid in school so like maybe like sort of eight nine mm the thing at our school was everyone was like, yeah, WWF's fake, but WCW's real. And that was like, <laughs> so we were like, yeah, definitely. You know, the, the Yeti, the Yeti's definitely real. Yeah. But, uh, but Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it was mad. Like, I remember um, my uh, my granddad used to be, uh, Ian, you'll probably know what a Pools Man is, right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, football yeah, pools yeah. They used to do. mm. um, I don't know how to describe it to an on English person. It's like a gambling thing that people, people bet on like the results of all the football matches. And sure. back in the day before the internet, uh, people used to go and hand out these little sheets and you'd mark down which bets you wanted to make and pay a little bit of money. And then they come and collect them off you every week. And then it was a, it's, it's, it's a long standing old English thing. And my granddad right. used to do that, uh, on the like evenings and weekends for a bit of extra money. And every now and again, when I was a little kid, he used to take me around with him. And he always used to take me to this guy's house that who was a, a friend of his, who was like, I mean, this must have been like early 90s, I guess. So he was like a, a, a very like old school British wrestler who'd been on like World of Sport or something once years ago. Right. And, you know, like used to wrestle in like the old like Blackpool Pier and stuff. And I was kind of like getting to the sort of age when I'd, I'd sort of figured out that like WWF wasn't real anymore. But this guy, he was a 100% shooter, man he was no he was having none of it he was like he would he would tell me about all his wrestling matches as if they were real fights they'd be like oh yeah you know big daddy broke my arm a few months ago <laughs> <laughs> why you why are you not in a cast then <laughs> <laughs> oh you know <laughs> yeah he yeah. was like and, and, and you know bear in mind this was like an old fellow this guy must have been about 50 or 60 or something but he would take me into his garage and show me all these pictures and like I I just, I never forget. I can't remember the guy's name, but I'll just never forget how seriously he took it. And he was like, there was no way he was going to let this kid believe that
1: it wasn't legit.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, go ahead.
1: Here's a question though. If, during the nineties, who was the wrestler that you just can't, you just, I hate saying the word, but you hate, I'll just start. I, I can't stand Lex Luger. His face irritates me. Even now that he looks like a pretty crypt keeper, when he's because he's, he's a skeleton of himself, I just every time I see him, like when I've been going back, he'd appear on like a random episode of Raw that Earthquake was on, and I would just fast forward his match. I've not fast forwarded to anybody else. Yeah, I'm not watching Lex Luger, I can't stand him. Uh,
0: I can't let me let me think. Brad, do you have one that you're like, Fuck that guy, that guy. you worst.
2: know what? Like now, Ian said Lex Luger, I can't get Lex Luger out of <laughs> my head, but I, I, I felt very much the same. Like, I, I always like. I was really into, like, the whole NWO storyline. And then when he joined, like, the NWO Wolfpack, he was supposed to be the cool guys. I was like, hang on, you've got this, like, 45-year-old busted-out bodybuilder who's, like, still wearing his (laughs) fucking 92 mullet how is it how is this guy supposed to be hanging out with fucking Razor ramon like these two guys are never going to socialize with each other in real life what's going on
0: this, there's something amiss here um th- yeah. did you guys ever see the video of lex luger he did some little indie promotion where he was trying to cut a promo and he just kept fucking it up really bad. It, I have to send it to you guys. It, it was, it was like toward the end of his career and he was just like he didn't, he couldn't remember the name of the promotion. He couldn't remember the name of the event because he's just like he's like and he tried to rip his like take his shirt off in anger and he just got stuck in the shirt and he's like and your shirts are too small and he just fucking tries to leave out of a door and it's locked walks off and the guy who was interviewing him was just like just walked away it was i have to send it to you guys it's something oh, that me and, oh it's, it's <laughs> something that me and my friends just sent to each other all the time because it was just the worst There, there's some great you know fuck-ups in uh in promo cutting history but that I, is i've one got of the one best.
1: to send to you guys i've okay. got i think i've got the best one okay it's the it's British Bulldog in WCW, and he is clearly off his face, <laughs> and he can't he can't speak. I mean, <laughs> Americans couldn't understand him to start off with anyway because of his accent. You know, they'll right. be like, "What's what's he say?" He's just rambling on in British. But even I struggled to understand what what he was saying. And it was just I'll, I'll I'll find it on YouTube tonight, and I'll I'll send it to you guys. It's yeah. ridiculous.
0: We'll have to do a little I think trade.
1: My um,
2: my favorite of all time is the. Uh, have you guys seen the Iron Sheik Turkey promo? No. No. Oh my god. So it's um it's it I think it, it's been on the internet for a while as part of like a compilation called Mean Gene Oakland's best outtakes or something. <laughs> but you, you can just get this this one interview on its own. And he it's like a Thanksgiving tournament. I guess it was like the precursor to Survivor series or something.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's called like The like the 1987 turkey tournament or something, and it's just Mean Gene and Iron Sheik, and he's he's got like a fucking basket with a live turkey in, and you know what Iron Sheik's like? He just goes off on one, and he just like opens the basket, and the turkey's like going all (laughs) over the place, and he grabs it by the neck, and he goes, "You don't mind me look like a Hulk Hogan." a mean gene just loses it like you see mean gene in the background just creasing <laughs> my,
0: <laughs> my favorite my favorite mean gene moment was when he's i forget who he's interviewing but he's interviewing somebody or no he's doing like a solo spot he's so he's talking to you know the commentators about something coming up and uh a fucking the the wwf sign behind him falls yeah <laughs> go, what the
1: fuck <laughs> uh,
0: that shit is so funny to me um
2: i love i love mean gene he was like he was like so smooth but like yeah. calamitous like do you remember when he did the um the gimmick battle royal the commentary for the gimmick battle <laughs> royal with uh bobby heenan it was like wrestlemania it was the really big wrestlemania with like stone cold versus the rock and they did the like the gimmick battle role with all the old nineties wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and it was Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan on commentary. And uh, the Repo Man came out, and they were talking about him like repoing cars. And uh, and Mean Gene goes, "Oh, in uh, in nineteen eighty two, he got my mother in law." And Bobby Heenan goes, "Oh, nineteen eighty three, everyone got your mother in law."
1: But uh, that's why it was so good because you you can't get away with that now. No. Cannot get away, and I mean I don't really watch the stuff now. I catch it on like Twitter. I have someone share something, I'll be like, yeah. "That's utterly ridiculous." But like going, going back, and I think there was there's one I saw. I think said Psycho said, starts a promo and then he makes a mistake and he's go let's start again. Like I, I think it's Jim Ross. It's like, oh, we're I live need? as hell, man. <laughs> <laughs> and like if that was now, that would have been like you'd be like. Oh, he's gonna lose his job at that strip <laughs> Career's over. It was just like, man, it's live TV stuff happens.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. I'll say that to Sheets all the time. He'll he'll do something, he'll mess up. I was like, we're live as hell, man. <laughs> it's like <just laughs> keep going. <laughs> uh, that that being said, uh, it'd be interesting to know what each of your favorite uh, uh, wrestling commentators of all time are. Like someone who called shots from the side. You know, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Brad's thought about this a little bit, but Ian, you brought up earlier how it's tough to listen to three man teams, but who do you remember as like your favorite fucking guy to be calling the shots from ringside?
1: I think the peak of my childhood, it's hard not to say Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for that attitude, but going back and watching stuff by myself, I think you, you break it down into groups of three. Not free. Commentator has three sets of two. So I think Jar and Lola. Mm. He for me Heenan and Monsoon are the best. When I went back and watched, they are the best too. But I also really liked Vince and Jesse the Body Ventura. Yeah, like what, Vince was a really good commentator. Like Absolutely. I, I, it's, I could remember that he did commentary, but then when I go back and watch, he's a bit cheesy. But it for that e era, it works. Um, But yeah, I think it's hard not... I think Bobby Heenan by himself is the best.
0: What a mind. Like that that guy, the brain is like the perfect, the perfect explanation for a guy. Like he, just to go back and listen to some of the weird shit he would say and just Gorilla Monsoon wouldn't have to say much. He'd just be like, (laughs) oh God. Like he would just be like, oh God. Like to something he would say and you'd be like, that shit is fucking hilarious to me. Like you wouldn't pick it it up as a kid. You wouldn't pick it up as a kid but like later in life you're like oh my god that's just so scandalous <laughs> to say and like they just got away with it on superstars on a saturday morning you know it's no crazy.
1: nobody called a royal rumble better than bobby heenan
0: i think it, the 92
1: one where rick flair and through the full match he's talking about how unfair it is that rick flair was like number two and then he <laughs> wins yeah, and yeah. at the end he's like it was never in any doubt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the flip-flopping was perfect with Bobby Heenan. So fucking good, man. Because and- he kind of like,
2: he sort of he called it
0: almost like with the side eye. It's like, yeah.
2: I know this is ridiculous. Right. But then he would slip back into that bad guy character. So when his guy won, he was like, well, yeah, I know. You know, he's <laughs> serious guy, sportsman. Oh, I always knew he would, <laughs> uh, would overcome the odds and everything. Yeah, absolute genius. Just a com- Just a complete
0: I- just like great just, just a great off the cuff guy, really
2: good. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I think because Gorilla Monsoon was such a good straight man as well, yeah, it kind of it made his uh, sort of absurdity even better. Plus the fact that Gorilla Monsoon was like a fucking six foot eight, three hundred and fifty pound massive dude, and you're like, well, you know, Monsoon could just wring his neck if he wanted to. Absolutely, they're, they're, it was just like an odd couple, wasn't it? Like, yeah, well, like he- character as a manager and in the ring was always like a wimp. And a coward and <laughs> everything else. So yeah. I think they just played off each other so well. I think like for me, I mean, yeah, like like Ian said, you can't really uh, you can't really knock like Jr. and and Jerry Lawler because that was just the time when wrestling was you know probably at its best in terms yeah. of like a broadcast product. But if I kind of like go back to like my sort of favorite years as a, as a wrestling fan, probably like I, I stopped watching like WWF and WCW in the late nineties because I. I I lived in Holland and you just couldn't get it. Like there was just no way really to watch it. Like you couldn't watch it online at the time. Too much effort. Um,
0: Right. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was just not possible. Like you would get like an hour of WCW Nitro on a Friday, uh, but it would be like the first hour of two. So you'd miss like the main shit at the end. Um, So I just couldn't follow it as well. And I got really into ECW because you'd get it on tapes. Like all the video shops had all the tapes. So I loved uh, Joey Styles and Cyrus the Virus sort of like 99 to 2001 before it shut down ecw commentary team i thought they were uh they were they were amazing and uh yeah i do like i do like to kind of sneak a little cyrus the virus line into my cage shit <laughs> well That's and, and,
0: and like ecw was just had that feel of of just like i feel like i could know these guys because they feel like they've just turned on a camera on some friends that are wrestling and they're talking like they still sounded great but it didn't sound so polished that you couldn't believe it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It felt like people that were really excited about, about what they were watching, you know, well,
2: the great thing about that, uh, Joey styles and Cyrus duo was that, that it's that in itself was a whole storyline thing. So he only started commentating when they got their deal with, I think it was TNN. Mm.
0: Yeah,
2: um, yeah, yeah. and so the whole thing was that TNN had signed them for a year and then they did a deal with WWF to start in like September. So they knew they were done and they right. knew they they were getting kicked off network and they didn't advertise and everything. So Cyrus's character was a network executive. So he worked for the, for TNN quote unquote. Right. And he hated all the wrestling products. So he was like <laughs> an anti, and oh, he's, and he's so slimy and sleazy. Right. Um, and the funny thing was, he also did the commentary for Rollerball, which was on TNN at the time. So oh, wow. he had that credibility of like, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, don't worry, this shit's gonna finish in half an hour, and you can watch Rollerball on TNN, <laughs> like advertising it during the matches, and not it? It's Brilliant."
0: So for TNN turned into Spike, right? Like that was TNN is what turned yeah. into Spike, I think Spike TV, because I think the UFC was on Spike for just a hot minute, wasn't it?
2: yeah 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 holy shit i forgot um, about that. that 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 was when the ultimate fight started right that was on spike yeah yeah that yeah, was
0: yeah. oh my god just insane insane man
1: and Sp- remember spike was the reason why hulk hogan turned up at that ufc event and did that horrific cage side oh. interview with joe rogan
0: oh acting didn't like he was
1: an mma fan oh. and you knew he had never seen <laughs> any mma like he's just there uh, has broadcast the fact that some wrestling show yeah. was going to be on spike tv <laughs> Please. And he's like, and Rogan's like, do you like? I'm a man. He's like, yeah, big fan. Great
0: guys, great guys. <laughs> big, <laughs> big fan, brother. Like, <laughs> yeah, let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> <laughs> when these guys get in there and slam each other, it's real deal. Oh my god! When Chuck Liddell drops the like, brother, that's all over. <laughs> um, did either of you guys uh see the? Uh, so there's there's two, there's two, uh, I guess documentaries that stick out to my mind in the past couple of years or a few years, I guess at this point, um, the, the Andre, the giant documentary, the Thirty for 30 on Andre. Did you guys watch? No, no, I'm sorry. That was an I've HBO.
1: HBO. That was that an yet. HBO. Brilliant, oh yeah. my
0: God. Do you want to cry? Fucking watch that shit. That shit is like brutal, but it's so good. Like Andre was probably easily one of my favorites growing up just because he was larger than life. Like, because You know, it didn't matter if he was in character or not. He's still a big, you can't pretend to be a big motherfucker. Like, you just can't. And uh, that was just one of the coolest wrestling documentaries. And uh, I also watched The Redemption of Jake the Snake. It was also a really good one, man. man. That guy was, like, low-key so good at being a wrestler. Um, Even though he may have not gotten the, the accolades that a lot of wrestlers got, he was still just, like, a consummate professional through a lot of bullshit, you know. Um, that was a... if
2: you like if you go back and watch a lot of his promos from you know even that kind of like 90s late 80s and 90s hulkamania era when it was all very cartoony and um not not very serious like he would just turn it on sometimes and just look down the camera and you're like oh shit this guy's scarier than the undertaker yes. like He's not that he's not the one to mess around with. Yeah, like. He
0: wasn't goofing around like Macho Man who was fucking coked out of his mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I'll say this, Macho Man <laughs> some of the best promos ever cut in the history of wrestling, but goddamn, if Jake the Snake didn't strike fear into you, he would just get so serious you're like you're like I think he's actually talking to somebody he knows right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know if either of you saw I, I seen it shared on Twitter the I think it is it AEW that's the new alternative to WWE. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he turned up in there and then cut a promo. And I've seen the video. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. It was to Dustin Rhodes' brother. I was a Cody. Yeah, Cody. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the best promos ever, even to this day now. And he's what, well, nearly 70 probably. Yeah. He cut a promo that is better than anything that I've seen in probably the last 20 years. <laughs> and if you've not seen it, I'll find it and I'll send you because it, it is really good. Yeah. But go back um, to what you, sorry, what I was going to say back back about Andre. I never remembered him as a giant because the very first VHS that I got bought by my parents was the Battle at the Royal Albert Hall, which was like a UK show that they did, you know, when they used to do the videos. Yeah, And there was a a Battle Royal at the end of it, which the British Bulldog won. But the last three was um, Bulldog, Typhoon and Earthquake. So he was getting battered by, (laughs) obviously, the natural disasters. And Andre came and rescued him, but he he, he had... um, crutches so he was a cripple oh, so i always yeah. memorize andre as a fucking cripple <laughs> <laughs> and not like this larger than life giant that he clearly was
0: god it was uh just incredible times to watch it really was and it, you know it, it to, just to see i i think what well, i think what happened honestly is up through our childhood into the attitude era at some point they stopped letting the um they stopped letting the wrestlers kind of come up with their own promos. You could kind of tell, like, it, you know, it's like when when Macho Man's cutting a fucking promo about being cream of the crop, and he brings up a creamer for for coffee, and like he's, you know, he's just cutting this promo that you know is completely off the top of his his high mind. Um, <laughs> you know, all the way up through like The Rock and Stone Cold, you know, doing their stuff on mic. You can tell when they made a transition to telling the guys what to say on mic. You know, there there was a point where you're like, this doesn't feel organic. Whereas like when The Rock would kind of cut a promo, like you'd be like, holy shit, I can't believe he just said that, you know, now maybe that was just good writing, but a lot of it I think had to just do, you know, if you know anything about The Rock and you've watched anything from his, you know, interviews and videos, even up till now, you know, the guy's a brilliant guy, you know, the guy knows, okay, I've got these catchphrases I need to hit, but otherwise in between I can fill in the gaps myself. They stopped doing that at some point and it was like man that's where that to me i think is where wrestling won a lot of people was those promos like the fact that jake the snake could turn around and creep out everybody that he was talking to um
2: i don't know like the the, the, the dusty roads hard times yeah like people got that that was a that was a cultural moment for people mm. like people Understood that they bought into that. They were like, "Yeah, that's that's me. That's what I'm dealing with."
0: Right, right. And then that's why, like, you know, we even related it to MMA earlier when you were talking about BJ Penn, Ian. It's like there's something about there's something about the Stone Cold guy who's like, "Fuck, who's in charge? I don't give a shit. I'm going after them, and I don't give a shit what they say." And like that just works for people, like, because people, it's it's living out the fantasies of what people would love to do to their bosses. Oh yeah, hundred percent.
2: Like for me, I think Vince McMahon is probably the best bad guy character in wrestling of 100%. all time. Yeah. Like it, it's it's just it's just insane, and, and probably because he wasn't a wrestler as well. Like it's not like he's never he was never really portrayed as an equal to anyone. Right. He was just like Steve Austin was the working class man who's had enough of his boss's shit. And he's gonna go and punch him in the
0: face He's gonna hit him and, in the face with a bedpan
2: it's gonna be great yeah exactly <laughs> and, and who does who has not who among us has not thought of doing something like that do you know what i mean it's like yeah you can buy into sting because he's got cool face paint or he does cool moves and right. then he started dressing like a goth you know <laughs> i mean I, I i'm a big fan of the crow so when Sting right. started dressing like the crow i was like oh this is just my absolute zenith of wrestling. Yeah. But no for for anyone who's ever worked for someone they don't like you see that in that vince mcmahon austin feud and you like how could you you know as a teenager, as as i guess we all were at that time like probably doing our first shit job how how could you not get on board with that how could you not support steve austin in that case
0: they they played it perfectly it just it just worked out perfectly the timing was right it just everything was right about that era of wrestling, like through the nineties, it was just fucking perfect, you know? Um, and, and even the random shit, you know, I was talking to my buddy sheets the other day and we were talking about like, um, we were just talking about like underrated gimmicks of, uh, of wrestling at the time of the, you know, mid to late nineties. Um, and I brought up to him, I was like, I was like, dude, the brood, like the, the brood, you know, giving people bloodbaths and just showing up you know, before Edge and Christian were, were big, like and, and they had Gangrel and all that stuff, like just showing up and and all the lights going out and people just showing up like bathed in blood. Like it had nothing to do with any other storyline out there except for we don't have anything for these guys to do. Let's have the brood go fucking give them a bloodbath so they can have a feud for a little while. And it's 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 really fun to look back on that shit. Like just the randomness, you know.
2: One of the um you know, we were talking about dark side of the ring earlier, um, the new Jack episode, um, which I thought was fantastic. Mm. And I recently listened to, uh, you know, crime in sports. Yeah. The podcast, mm. they did an episode of new Jack recently oh. and they didn't watch the dark side of the ring at all. So they've researched it all independently, but like the promos that he was doing at the time, like they, there was a, a thing of him, um, doing the promo somewhere, uh, just after the whole OJ Simpson thing. And he basically came out to the ring and he said, I just want to give a shout out to my brother. OJ, that's two less we've got to worry about in this like all white arena.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my In God. Alabama
0: somewhere. Probably.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my God.
2: I mean, you can't, you, I, I, and again, you'd ne- you can never do that today. Right. You can no. never get away with that today, but for its time, that was just like, Wow. <laughs> it's just
0: fucking incredible man it's so good like, there's just so much shit that like you could never get away with again like someone reposted some stuff from the attitude era the other day that i was like holy shit and it wasn't it was post attitude it was uh it was triple h giving booker t shit i don't know if you guys saw that but he was just mm-hmm. like you know a person like you could never be champ yeah. like and you were kind of like this is a really you're rough a, time for this to come out street thug right <laughs> like very much like it just in in the the whole arc was he was talking about a person from wcw but it's like we know what commentary they were making yeah. right there like, yeah. it's like we know we know vince was in the background being like let's make him pissed off kind of thing you know say it say, say it, the word say, say it, it now
1: <laughs> do you know do you know what it is though in that attitude you are even the people that were you were meant to hate, you liked in a way. Like when I think back to the earlier '90s part, like, and I really enjoy them now if I go back and watch anything by them. But like, I hated like Rick Rude when he would just like address the crowd and like, you women want this body. I would hate, <laughs> even though, even though by far for me one of the best wrestlers ever, Mister Perfect. I used mm. to think Wallace. What a smug prick, yeah, but when you go back and watch it, you just think, like, that's the work of a genius, like, yeah. right, the, the, everything he did. Um, but in the attitude era, it was like you wanted to still like them, right? Unless it was viscera, The fuck what I think about that piece of shit.
2: well. It was like the age of the anti hero, wasn't it? Like, yeah, you know, the, the NWO with the bad guys, but they sold more t shirts than everyone else combined, like, still do Scott. Scott Hall used to do is like, you know, who you're here to see, WCW or the NWO, and they get the biggest cheer like every week. Yeah. Like, and then they got Buff
1: Bagwell and it went
0: (laughs) (laughs) Buff is the stuff, man. Come on.
2: (laughs) I I guess like culture around that time was all very much like kind of like Gen X was just finishing and you were getting like, you know, everything was all like, counterculture skateboarding marilyn manson Mm. new metal was just kicking off and for a lot of for a lot of kids like for a lot of nerdy kids maybe it was almost cool to be an outsider for the first time
0: yeah i mean i think that it was kind of a a, almost like a spear tip for that kind of thing because now like nerd nerd culture is something that is fully embraced it has a you know it has a complete backing you know if you like if you like comic books then you have an entire gang of people on the internet that, that are with you kind of thing. You know, it's, it was kind of a, a time where it's like, there was that, it bridged that gap of like, all right, we like normal wrestling shit. And then there's also, here comes this outsider stuff. It's, it is kind of weird. Like, I don't know if it, and it's hard to tell because it depends on what you're into. Like, I don't know if it was something that kicked off that kind of mentality or if it would just happen to be in line with, the mentality coming down you know it's it's interesting because you, it's easy to take something and paint it and like be like no this is where outsiders started to be cool it was like nwo you know all that shit you know, people pushing back against the a bit against the system but you can go back and look at movies from the 70s and 60s that were just about horrible corporations doing shit. you brought up rollerball earlier that's what the movie was about you know it was about corporations taking over and making you know the the people less than them fight it out to the death in rollerball you know it's kind of crazy man yeah
2: i i just remember some i i my 16th birthday was in the year 2000 so it's like just kind of after the whole sting in the leather trench coat thing right and uh i made my parents buy me a leather trench coat for my 16th birthday my birthday's in may right <laughs> so the start of the summer and i wore that fucking coat <laughs> Twelve months solid. I've never sweated so much. In
0: my oh, you were so cool. Mascara,
2: <laughs> mascara running down my face.
0: So you looked like Sting by the end of the day. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, yeah, a really
2: <laughs> sad Sting.
0: I saw the best <laughs> meme the other day about the about the, speaking of Sting and about the crow, and someone was just like, you know, the crow was just the goth version of Robocop. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I sat there and laughed for about ten minutes at that shit. I was like, <laughs> yeah. God damn it, it is. Uh, it's so fucking funny man oh, Jesus Jesus guys we've almost hit three fucking hours already Jeez, I really appreciate dude I, I really appreciate it I've watched an entire sunset behind Ian's behind Ian's <laughs> beautiful shirted body right um, but uh, you can follow uh, you can follow Brad at MMA Brad 48 and you can follow Ian at ISTB 87 for now for now he might change it in a couple of weeks, but for now, you can as of, as of August first, twenty twenty, you could follow Ian <laughs> there. But uh, I really appreciate you guys being on this. Has been a long time coming. I think Brad was saying while we, were, we went to the bathroom earlier, we were waiting on Ian to get back. Like I think we've been trying to put this together for like four fucking years. Yeah,
1: it's been,
0: it's been crazy. Been it's been a long time. We we need to not make it that long in between them. That's for sure. Um, 100%. but uh i appreciate you guys being on and uh i will uh really appreciate doing this again because i had a lot of fun and if things can calm down in the fucking world we'll get together and have a fucking beer and hopefully the Bye. world won't end in the meantime the, the only thing i bad must bad say bad.
1: though i've noticed with all these zoom calls i've got a massive head
0: gotcha <laughs> see see what i, I <laughs> set my ass? i know look at it see i i do the trick of like putting the camera way away from my head so that it's just like it, it you- is the, the the laptop's two meters away <laughs> <laughs> he's yelling from across the room <laughs> <laughs> guys i really appreciate I like it man you got it's been amazing uh brad uh good luck coming up in september i know you got some gigs coming up so you hopefully you have a good time and uh and maybe when you come out of it we can we can sit down and chat and just figure out what that whole thing's like to live in the bubble of mma for yeah, like a man. week or two yeah. you know um ian good luck this fall i don't know what you got going on but i hope it uh, turns out well for you
1: well uh brad doesn't know but cage warriors have made me the third man in the booth so no. all no. that stuffy all that stuff he said earlier on going to be all okay, i'm joking um, <laughs> i'm just taking each day as a code at the moment see yeah. what happens by fall
0: Ian's gonna compare every fighter uh, while he's commenting. He's gonna be like, he's like, you know, you know. I was watching John Tenta the other night, and he needed all that leverage.
2: <laughs> he's like a young earthquake, brother.
0: <laughs> guys, I appreciate right, it. I hope you have a good one. You can follow those two guys. I'll have the uh, I'll have their links up on LopezRadio.com. And uh, I'll also uh, I'll also uh, put any other links pertaining to what we were talking about up there as well. Maybe like the dark side of the ring stuff. And uh, I, if you guys send me that stuff you were talking about the um, the promos and shit like that, I'll put those up with the strategy guide as well because I think that's just fucking hilarious. Anytime people fuck up with pro wrestling, it's just too fun. Um, but you can follow the show at Lopez Radio. And of course, lopezradio.com is where the show lives. Guys, have a good one and we'll see you next time.